Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Grave Plot Podcast. A member of the Pod Gods Network. That's podgodsnetwork.com. I am Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. And uh, thanks for joining us again, guys. Uh, Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's new with you? Um, nothing really new. Same old, same old. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we try to come up with something that's like new for us every episode, but it's just nothing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't really have a lot of time to do new and exciting things between work and watching movies and... It's true. Wives and girlfriends and... Yeah, damn wives and girls. <laughs> <laughs> Women, am I right? <laughs> um, so uh, I think before we get into things, uh, Taylor has uh, an exciting announcement. Oh, I get to do it? All right. If you want to. I can do it. If you want. Well, this is our last episode of September, which means our next episode will air in October. For those of you who don't know how months work. Mm. Our next episode... Twelve of them. Yep. Even though I just... Learned today that January and February were added from the Roman calendar to the Gregorian calendar because there was originally only ten months, and October was the eighth, hence oct, as in octopus, mm. octo meaning eight, novo meaning nine, deco meaning ten. That makes a lot more sense, right? <laughs> uh, but anyways, October is of course the month of Halloween. So it is our favorite month, or at least one of them. And so to celebrate, we are going to have the first ever. Grave Plot Podcast Octoberama. Yeah. We're, uh, we're... Well, what this means is that we are going to have new reviews for you every week of October. That's going to be five episodes. We're going to split it between full episodes on our regular schedule. But in between, we'll have mini episodes where we... I think our, our plan is just to mainly just do reviews in those episodes. Right. Unless um, there's, you know breaking news or something that we really want to talk about All right and each week we'll have a theme and the first theme is going to be the week of the vampire right and for that one we are going to be reviewing Stakeland and the original fright night mm-hmm. so as always if you have input on either of those movies feel free to email them to us you can either type them out or send us an mp3 or if you can keep it under three minutes you can leave us a voicemail at 858-848-PLOT and, of course, our email address is graveplotpodcast at gmail.com. Right. And uh, just, I don't know if we could do the whole rundown right now, but the following week is going to be actually our one-year anniversary show. Aww. <laughs> uh, it's amazing that we've been doing this for a year. Yeah, it flew by. It really did. Um, uh, of course, at the, at the same time, it feels like we've been doing it forever. That's true. <laughs> but um, Probably because we've been bullshitting about horror movies for over a decade <laughs> that's true yeah um so yeah october should be exciting here at the grave plot podcast yeah um i will be gone for one of them yep uh, i'm going on my honeymoon and so taylor <laughs> um so taylor is going to take the reins uh solo or i think are you into- I'm, I'm working on getting a, a special guest host okay so um so, yeah, uh, October should be a fun month here at the Great Plot Podcast, uh, so stay tuned. Yeah, join us for all of the excitement. Yeah. Um, so, anything else before we get into it? I have no more ado. 
Got it. Okay, well, let's just jump on into horror business. So, as has become our custom here, it's like when we have actual, like, real-world horror news, uh, or horror-themed, I guess, we tend to do it first, just because stands out a little more i think um and keeping with that we're going to start out with talking about jack the ripper and this is probably two three weeks old at the point you're you'll be hearing this but um they believe or it's believed that the identity of jack the ripper has been definitively identified by uh dr yari luhalinen yeah that's a, where is that from? Is that German? Mm, you know, I'm not sure. But <laughs> story is that um, a shawl uh, from one of the, one of Jack Ripper's victims, uh, Catherine Eddowes, uh, was purchased at an auction by Russell Edwards, who I believe is just a, a businessman. Um, but a I, I, businessman turned author now that this has come about. Um. He enlisted the help of Dr. Luhalainen. Luhalainen. I think that's how it is. Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, Who is kind of a um, world-renowned genetics analyst um, in historical crime scenes. Um, Dr. Luhalainen used cutting-edge DNA testing to identify not only one DNA strand on this shawl, but two. One, believed to be the the DNA of Catherine Eddowes. The second one <clears throat> was believed to be the actual DNA of the killer himself. Um, so after they com- after they was uh, pulled these DNA samples, they compared it to the descendants of not only Catherine Eddowes, but one of the or uh, the three top the top three suspects and their descendants. Um, and it just so happens that they got a hit. They have identified Jack the Ripper to be a 23-year-old Polish immigrant named Aaron Kosminski, who was a barber living in the Whitechapel area of London, uh, and he was also one of the top three suspects, as I mentioned before. So his name's not even Jack. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> So they were way off. Yeah. That's how he's been hidden all this time. Right. They've been looking for some guy named Jack. <laughs> um, Jack T. Ripper. <laughs> uh, as I'm sure you all know, Jack the Ripper has been probably one of the most, like, the longest unsolved murder or serial killers in history. As I mentioned, there were several top suspects, uh, you know, three in particular. But not only that, but... Uh, it was uh, Queen Victoria's nephew was one of the suspects at a really? point. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's like the the, the uh, a duke of one territory or another. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, they believe that they've th- this is definitive. Uh, th- I mean, there there doesn't seem to be any question about this. So they're gonna go bust him. They're gonna go put him behind bars finally. Well. Oh. <laughs> um, Kosminski happened to die 
in a mental asylum at the ripe old age of 53. So, um, there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, this is Jack the Ripper being such a age-old story and, you know, just this elusive mystery that's plagued people for over a century. It's like... It's one of those things you just kind of thought was never going to get solved. Yeah, and, like, all just the, the mystery and mystique behind it yeah, this gone. Dr. Lou Helenen did something that even Johnny Depp couldn't do. Right. Uh, yeah, even with the help of Heather Graham. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't think there was anything Johnny Depp couldn't do. No. He's a chocolate maker. He's a... He's a pirate. He's pirate. A, he's, a, he's an Indian. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Like, man, he's a jack of all trades. Uh, jack, like... Like jack the Sparrow. Ripper. And that... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just weird that Jack the Ripper, that's solved. <laughs> Done. Yeah. What else you got? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, I mean, obviously, it'll still go down in history. Yeah. I mean, it, it's already part of history, and now there's just a name attached to it. But, like I said before, just all the, the, uh, the shroud is lifted, you know? It's just weird. It is. It's a weird time we're living in. Indeed. <laughs> like, they're opening Dracula's tomb and Jack the Ripper's getting solved? Yeah. Fuck. Technology! <laughs> um, Nailed it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, Alright, well, I guess that's all, unless you have anything to add. Nope. Okay. Well, let's press on. So, another stupid psycho kid decided to try and kill her family, and this is a real news again. This is our second real news story. Right. Uh, once again, Slenderman is being blamed. Yeah. This is a 14-year-old girl from Florida who allegedly tried to set her home and thusly her mother and sister. One sister or two sisters? Mm. Uh, let's see. Mother and brother. Mother and brother. Okay. Well, she tried to set them all on fire. Yeah. Uh, there's really no tie into Slenderman as far as a motive. She didn't have a note saying she was doing it in the name of Slenderman or, you know, like the um, the girls in, what was it, Wisconsin? Yeah. That, that stabbed their friend and said they were being proxies of Slenderman. Right. This wasn't anything like that. She just had, uh, I think she had a notebook that had Slenderman stories in it. Yeah, it, she... So the detectives are telling us that... Um, the girl told him that she decided to set the home on fire um, while reading the book Soul Eater, um, which had upset her uh, due to past bullying um, and her mother disciplining her. So what she had done was she took a towel, doused it in rum and bleach, and then set it on fire inside the house. Um, and then she took off. Um, and I think she, they found her passed out in like a... A park or something. Yeah, a park bathroom or something. Yeah. Um, so 
not only that, but she, when she was um, arrested, she was she admitted to having visited sites like Creepy Pasta, which, as we know, is the home of Slenderman originally. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, absolutely no connection to Slenderman. Yeah, I like there's a quote from ABC News, and it says, She had visited the website that contains a lot of the Slenderman information and stories. Eddie Daniels of the Pasco Sheriff's Office told ABC News. It would be safe to say there's a connection to that. Would it? Really? Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. Like, just because they go to a website that doesn't condone lighting your family on fire. Like, where, yeah. where is the connection? Yeah, that's like saying that... Uh... It's like he he goes to NFL.com a lot, so there's a pretty good motive that he would kill somebody. With a football. There's a pretty good indication that he would be, knock his wife unconscious in an elevator. Yeah. Um, just, I don't, I don't it's, know. It's if, satanic panic all over again. It really is. And that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a perfect analogy. Um, it's the media drumming up drama for ratings and viewers or and or listeners or readers whatever um and just yeah causing a panic for no legitimate reason um using slender man as a scapegoat yeah and it's not like i mean i was not even f- very familiarized with what slender man even was until that stabbing case like i knew I guess what Slender Man was, but I didn't really know the lore behind it and the, you know, the lore that had developed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now this has just become uh, a media circus, basically. Just finding anything that's topical, I guess, to re- relate to these, to these grisly crimes. And it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, we mentioned this before when we, when we originally talked about the the stabbing. Um, or actually, no, I guess it was another case after that that was believed to have been related to Slenderman. Yeah, the little girl that attacked her mom. Right. And um, we talked about just horror, like horror in general being accused of so many things in the past and this just being another version of it. Um it's always something, you know. It's Marilyn Manson. It's video games. It's, it's no. Most of the time, it's bad parenting. Is what it is. Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, I mean, and like, I think one of the original posters of this was um, New York Daily News. Oh God. Yeah. So I mean, you you can just picture the actual credibility behind the story to begin with, but. Um, yeah, just having absolutely no real connection behind this. And what's even more sad is that, like, not only are the stories themselves trying to draw the correlation between what this girl did and um, Slenderman, but, like, you look at article titles, and it says, you know, like, there's one here in this this article um, from the, the Florida News. Slender Man inspires teen to torch home with mom and brother inside. It's like I would like to see where Slender Man told her to do this. Yeah, I mean, this is some of the most irresponsible journalism I've ever seen. And I just I can't believe 
what I'm seeing with my own eyes. It's it's pathetic, is what is what it is. I mean, that's what it boils down to. It's just sad. Well, yeah, and like it says that this book Soul Eater she was reading made her upset because she was. It made her. It reminded her of past bullying and her mother disciplining her. Mm-hmm. So that to me sounds like the problem is that she's being bullied and no one's paying any attention. And her, I don't know what it means by her mother disciplining her if she was abused or whatever. But you know that sounds like a much deeper issue to me. Yeah. And it's like then visiting some website. Yeah. And, you know, disciplining your child. There are. I think the hard thing about disciplining a child nowadays is there's so many avenues for a child to to report actual real domestic abuse. Actually, would that be considered domestic? I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, You know, child abuse. Yeah. Um, There's so many avenues for them to channel um to report abuse like that which is good but on the flip side there is plenty of room for kids like this who are unstable and don't understand the difference between abuse and discipline right for them to blow things out of proportion and then for the media to get a hold of it and turn it into this yeah it's just a a fucking asinine it's situation. It's shock value, and it's like you said, it's a way to pull in readers and listeners who want to, you know, who hear about Slenderman and think, "Oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. this horrible thing that's affecting all our children." Yeah, and it's like you know, if if your kid doesn't know the difference between real and make believe, then maybe you should monitor what they're looking at online a little better. Yeah, those are the kids that like if they can't, like you said, draw the di- draw the difference, um, or you know, se- separate real and fantasy. Then maybe yeah, those are the kids that shouldn't be playing violent video games. The ones that shouldn't be watching horror movies. Yeah, I mean, even as a horror fan, the, and you know, somebody that enjoys violent video games. Yeah, even I can admit, if you can't separate the difference between real and fantasy, then those are something that you should be staying away from. And it's a parent's responsibility to identify those things in their children. Exactly. So. Um. Yeah. So, this is just another example of our just disappointment in not only American but worldwide media. Yeah, that's pathetic. Luckily, no one was hurt. Right. That's that's the silver lining. Of yeah, this. I guess we so. didn't cover that. Um, her her mother and brother were actually able to get out of the house. Yeah, they were, I believe they were awoken by a, a smoke smoke detector. So they, they were able to get out of the house. Makes sense. Um, and when actually when her mother realized that she wasn't out there with them, she she tried to go back in. Yeah, 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 she tried to run back into the house, but the heat was too much. And I think the fire firemen showed up and told her to you know stay out of the house. But then after the fire was put out, they discovered that she wasn't in the house. And I believe there was some kind of text. Yeah, I read that too. She texted her mom and said, I'm sorry, I hope everyone's okay, or something like that. Right. Um, so, I don't know, this is nonsense. But anyway. Anyway. We're done with this. Yeah. Immediate, get off our nuts. Yeah. Until the next time something Slenderman related pops up. The only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. 
The only boy who could ever teach me Was the son of a preacher man Yes, he was, he was Yes, he was this was actually kind of a, a, a pickup on news that was announced earlier in the year. Um, I think it slipped past us somehow. But um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who you guys would know. I mean, you know Seth Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that Canadian pothead. Um, but uh, Evan Goldberg is his writing partner. They both created um super bad mm-hmm. amongst other things um and they earlier in the year were signed on to develop a tv series based on the comic book preacher which is weird <laughs> <laughs> um but um this uh, tv show is being developed for amc um and it was just kind of stagnant for a while. I think it was back in February when this was originally announced, if I'm not mistaken, which I very well could be. But um, Evan Goldberg sent out a tweet that said they had begun writing, um, that they had made, uh, or they had met with, um, oh, uh, shit, what's the guy's name? Uh, Greg, Greg something, the guy that developed the comic. They met with him and discussed... Um, kind of storylines and got got some ideas from him. Garth Ennis? Was it Garth? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they said they met with Garth and um, discussed some possible stories. And now they have actually begun writing uh, the TV series. Um, and then Seth Rogen, I, I guess in the Twitter universe, um, he retweeted it, and so that makes it, I guess that kind of... Uh, Gives a little vindication. I guess. You know, uh, confirmation, I guess. Um, as I said, this uh, Pre- Preacher is based on the DC um, uh, comic book. And, um, oh, sorry, this was actually first announced last year, in 2013. Um, and they are co-writing with Sam Catlin, who is a name you might recognize from Breaking Bad. Um, responsible for several episodes of Breaking Bad over the years. Um, and just to kind of brief you on Preacher. Well, it was officially made public on February 7th of this year that AMC was officially developing it. May 9th of this year, AMC announced that Preacher was picked up. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and the theme song will be Son of a Preacher Man, if you're interested in knowing that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and so Preacher is uh, about a man named Jesse Custard, um, who is actually a preacher in a, in a town called Anvil in Texas. Um, and he was possessed by a creature that was actually the offspring of an angel and demon. Um, so... This gave gave him almost godlike powers, um, and I think it's disputed whether or not he's actually stronger or comparably strong as God. Um, and so his and apparently at when the, when this occurred, when uh, this 
offspring was created, God basically abandoned the throne. He just left heaven. And so Jesse kind of finds the need to go on a journey to find him. Uh, across the United States, um, which it's like, if I was God, and I had not only the entire universe but the entire planet to go to and hide, I, would, I don't know that I'd come here. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I'd probably go to my own planet. Yeah, S- something. Yeah. <laughs> um. But just oh, he was in Biloxi. <laughs> sure. Um, and uh, you know, on his journey, he's joined by an, an ex-girlfriend and a, an Irish vampire. Um, so it, I haven't actually read uh, any preacher, um, but it it's always sounded like an interesting story to me. Um, so um, I don't get a lot of comedy. Yeah, from... I, I feel like it's an interesting choice for yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, Did they do Green Hornet? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess I can check. Yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these these are two guys that... They really need to just stick with comedy. Yeah, like Superbad was great. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think they may have done um, uh, This is the End. I think, they, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like like you said, like the Green Hornet, that was kind of meh. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why they brought in Sam Catlin. Maybe, to give it that kind of edge. I mean, yeah. also, I mean... You know, this is going to be AMC, so maybe AMC kind of owns uh, owns Catlin or something. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> yeah, I, like to to read like kind of a synopsis of Preacher and to know the themes and, and uh, elements of it. I don't get a whole lot of comedy, so I don't know why these guys were like their go to, and you know why they were even an option, really. Yeah, um, I feel like there's so many other writers even even just in AMC uh you know people that do Mad Men people that do Hell on Wheels Hell on Wheels especially because it's it's kind of it's got kind of a I get the impression Preacher has kind of like a a, a western feel to it oh yeah and so doing something like writers from like Hell on Wheels I think that would have been perfect I mean because they already know they they have that western vibe yeah but fucking Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I yeah, think. it's it's weird. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we'll find out next year because it's supposed to come out mid mid 2015. Yeah, and those of you that are in kind of a panic right now, um, don't worry. Seth Rogen doesn't appear to have any plans to star in the show. Okay, so. good. I was thinking that. <laughs> no word on casting as of yet, right? Not that I know of. No. So. All right. Uh, that's something we'll uh, keep you posted on. AMC, which of course we know carries The Walking Dead, which will be back October 12th. Yep. And it appears that they have finally, officially 
ordered the pilot for the Walking Dead spinoff show. Yeah, and this is something we've we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, God, it seems like forever ago. Yeah, I don't know when it was first announced. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, no title yet. But uh, according to AMC president Charlie Collier, almost from the beginning of The Walking Dead on AMC, fans have been curious about what is going on in the zombie apocalypse in other parts of the world. In fact, beyond requests for zombie cameos, it's the question I get asked the most. Obviously, we all take our stewardship of the original franchise incredibly seriously, and we, along with Robert, Gail, David, and now Dave, are all proceeding with extreme care in order to ensure that we are offering fans something truly compelling, engaging, and distinct. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it didn't really occur to me that it might be elsewhere in the country. That's um, the impression I got. Oh, really? Okay. Um, just, I guess when I when we first talked about this, I thought, okay, well, this just be in Atlanta? Because I believe there was talk of, like, kind of crossover. Wasn't there? I think so. Yeah, so it, obviously my mind said, okay, well, it's going to be just another story in Atlanta. Um, well, maybe they'll do it in, like, New Orleans, and then they'll just kind of meet in the middle. Maybe. But, I mean... Does The Walking Dead, the series, ever leave Georgia? I don't know. I'm not that far into the comic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess initially, like I said, you know, when I thought it was going to be in the same city, I just thought it was pretty stupid. Because it's like, all you're going to do is rehash exactly what we've already seen. And it's like, where do you pick up? I mean... We actually don't know if it's even going to be in the United States. It says other parts of the world. That's true. Could be in like London or something. I suppose it could be. I mean, that, that'd be. It seems like it'd be an expensive show. That's true. I mean, more so than just The Walking Dead itself. Yeah. Um, because I mean, they, you know, Walking Dead films all in location mm-hmm. in, in in Georgia. Um, to film either do a soundstage or to film on location. In, like, one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country. Assuming they go into, like, London or something or or uh, fucking Paris. I mean, like, I think they'd want to stick with somewhere where English is the primary language. Right. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Um, just to film on location in those kind of places seems like it'd be really expensive. True. Um, I don't know. I was just pointing out that he said parts of the world. Right, 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 yeah. And so, I I don't know. I guess the prospect of it uh, being not in the same city makes it a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, but, um, like... <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. I was just like, but like I was saying, like, where do they... Are they going to pick up, like, kind of where we are with the original Walking Dead? Or are they going to backtrack to, like, when it all started? That's I mean, a good question. How's this going to work? I Well, Robert Kirkman, who is, of course, the creator of Walking Dead, he said, There are many corners of the Walking Dead universe that remain unseen in the shadows. Being given the opportunity to shine a light into those corners and see what lurks out there is an absolute thrill. All right. Well, I mean, this... Just based on the sheer success of uh, Walking Dead, I mean, going into five seasons now, um, this, I can imagine, will get picked up pretty quick i would think 
And it, it kind of surprises me that they only went for a pilot and not just the whole, didn't just order the whole series. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm I'm pretty amped for it. Um, I, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, it's not like I'm just gonna poo poo on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poop. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, looks like the pilot is scheduled for production in late 2014. So I imagine that's soon. It is soon. Very good, Taylor. <laughs> so I imagine. I don't know. I wonder if this would run like at the same time as Walking Dead, or if it would be like maybe like a summer series or something. I don't know. Imagine we'll start hearing more soon, though. Yeah, there's a lot of questions to be answered. We need answers. <laughs> we demand answers. Get me Robert Kirkman on the phone. <laughs> um, so yeah, we will keep you enlightened as things develop. So Hemlock Grove, which we've talked about before, um, you haven't watched it, have you? I have not. Yeah. Um, you, didn't, ju- you didn't exactly give it a glowing review when you talked to me about it. You said it wasn't terrible, but it, I don't know, it just didn't really sound like something that would appeal to me. Yeah, and I kind of maintained that position um, even after the second season premiered. Uh, was it in July? You've watched the second season now? Yeah. Um, and... I don't know. It, it's kind of like... The, I mean, these Netflix shows, the seasons are so short. It's like you can barely, you know, satiate your appetite. Yeah. That's not right. Seat? Satiate, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it satiate or seat? Satiate. Okay. Um, um, and, I mean, it's like, you know, things that are so popular right now. I mean, like Netflix shows... Um, Particularly, like, Orange is New Black. Have you watched that at all? I've watched the first season. I haven't seen the second season. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, the show's wildly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these, these seasons are only, like, 13 episodes long, which is pretty standard for, like, a cable show. Right, um, but when you're binge-watching it. Exactly. Just, oh, and Netflix just added binge mode to Chromecast support. It used to be you had to, like, go back and press play every time. Oh, oh. But now you can just sit and watch the series without having to touch anything. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's that's how it is on the PlayStation. That's why it's like so easy to just not lose even, a day. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's like not even realize. Oh my god, I just watched an entire season <laughs> of a show. Even like te- I haven't moved for fourteen hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like even network shows, man. Like you know these hour long shows that are like twenty to twenty five episodes long. It's like you just sit there and watch. It. It's like holy shit, where did my day go? Yeah. Um, I just realized I need to pee. Yeah. Uh, I haven't blinked my eyes in three hours. Um, anyway, back on point. Uh, Hemlock Grove, which as we've mentioned, or as you may already know, as we've mentioned, is an Eli Roth-produced Netflix show based on a book. Um, it uh, released its second season in July, and it's uh, it's about essentially about werewolves and vampires, which is pretty well-worn territory by now. Um, but it presented it in in an interesting way, Um that I can't quite... I don't know if I can describe it the way I, I really want to. I don't know if I can assemble the words correctly. But basically, 
these characters exist in a reality where this kid, um, people believe he's a werewolf. And while there is obviously the, you know, the, the population that kind of passes off like, like that's utter nonsense. It's like, yeah, werewolf, right. (laughs) Um, but there is amount, a certain amount of people that say, "Oh, well, that kid's a werewolf. Stay away from him. Like, he's actually a werewolf. Don't, don't fuck with him." <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you're, you're, you're buying this? Um, and then you know this this insanely rich, well-to-do family. Um, they're basically just a bunch of vampires. Well, that's not true. There are two vampires in the family. Um, and they own this it's called the White Tower. It's this in this, this tiny little town of Hemlock Grove, it's this just this monolith uh of a building. It's it's uh medical research and you know, God knows what else goes on in there. But it it's just like a weird, a lot of weird shit that people like kinda know happens but they don't really talk about it. It's just this really weird existence these people have. Um so in the second season, as I meant, you know, like you mentioned, I didn't give it the best review. Like, like you said, I didn't really say it was awful, but it wasn't great. I really expected the second season to just the way it ended, um, set it up for a really cool second season. Um, but it kind of let me down a little bit. Again, it wasn't terrible, but it didn't pick up where I it, it didn't pick the ball up and run with it you know it just it, it almost like it stalled and tried to start back up from the beginning a little bit hmm. um it's not to say it wasn't interesting because <clears throat> I obviously sat and watched the entire thing um but it just didn't really have exactly what I was looking for um but having the second season just released in July they're now talking about the third season which uh is now being said to be the final season of the show which, that's for for something. Well, they're, they're not just talking about it. It has been ordered by Netflix. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. The third season has been ordered, and they're saying it's the. Th- it will be the final, final season, season, right? Um, and I believe this has actually even been confirmed by executive producer Eli Roth. Um, yeah, the, the <laughs> second season. I won't talk about it, but it it ended on a really weird note. Like, it completely changed the game. <laughs> it's like, I'm talking about these people living in just a weird reality, weird existence. Something just completely out of left field happened, and I did not see it coming at all. And so now I'm... Like the end of Feast 3? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> like, like you're not far off. I mean, not a... Not a giant robot yeah, not a, that comes out of the sky. Yeah, exactly. But something just as... Sorry if I just spoiled Feast 3 for you. Yeah, just something about as weird and fucking random. Um, anyway, so now it's now it's got me drawn into Season 3. That's how they get you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eli Roth said, We are so grateful to the fans of Hemlock Grove who have championed the series so intensely over two seasons. We are looking forward to taking the last and final season into some dark and unexpected places and to giving viewers the killer finale you'd come to expect from Hemlock Grove. Which... I don't know that they can manage that because 
like I said, the reason I brought up the the topic of these short seasons, Hemlock Grove didn't really do in what what in one season that what they should have. Uh, I mean, they didn't really capture everything they should have covered in one season. And it's like if you're in dealing, the second season or uh, in the first season, the first season, I guess. Okay, and so it felt like a lot of the second season was what was stuff they it's like still character development in, in a way yeah uh and, and just uh story like original story development um stuff that they really should have I, I guess like the maybe like the first couple you know two or three episodes of the second season felt like stuff that they should have covered in in the first season so yeah. it felt like you're you know playing a little bit of catch up um a little bit um, so I'm worried that might happen with season three too, and so this being the final season, it's like I feel like you're not gonna get this killer finale, like he says, um, just because I were I, I think that there might just be so much left that isn't covered, you know. Interesting, but I don't know. That's just my humble opinion. Um, it uh, I don't think there's a. Sp- Release date yet? No, um, they've just ordered it. So I mean, they have to film right. it, and so. it's impossible to predict because season one came out in April of 2013, and then um, season two came out in July of this year. So, who the fuck knows? Yeah, when you're when everything's on demand, you don't have seasons. So yeah, not that regular TV has fucking seasons anymore. It's true. Um. So. We'll keep you informed about this um, as things come about. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is I think this is definitely a show that's got like kind of a, a particular audience. Um, it's it's not for everyone, hmm. but I don't know. If you've watched and liked the show, um, then you know, keep listening, and we'll we'll let you know when new things happen. mentioned before that uh, the next Terminator sequel is coming up and by coming up I mean next summer <laughs> um, it's slated for a release on July 1st 2015 but apparently Paramount Pictures has already lined up two sequels to Terminator Genesis with a Y right and Genesis yeah and it's G-E-N-I Genesis yeah Genesis Genesis okay <laughs> um, and they already like not only have they announced that there will be sequels, but they've already like set the date release dates for them. Um, apparently, Terminator Six is going to be on May nineteenth, two thousand seventeen, and the other one's going to be June twenty ninth, two thousand eighteen. Um, and so apparently, these are opening up against. Uh, let's see. Uh, 2017 is going to be opening up a week ahead of the Lego Movie sequel, which could be competition. I think. I've I've heard really good things about the Lego Movie. I haven't seen it, but oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's really good. You should there see you it. <laughs> it. It 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 looked like kind of a dumb kid movie, but I was laughing my ass off. It was really funny. I've been meaning to see it. Once it's on Netflix, I'll probably watch it. 
<laughs> lazy sack of shit. Um, and then uh, Terminator, or the 2018 sequel, is going to open up two weeks after um, a, a Pixar movie that's already been planned. Um, I don't think there's been any real discussion about what movies, or like nothing certain. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there is definitely going to be a Pixar movie released in that time. And those are always, you know, competitors. Um, so uh, yeah, this, this hasn't been anything confirmed, but it, uh, it does kind of seem like the next two sequels are going to be filmed, not necessarily at the same time, but back to back. Uh, I think, which I think is a good move if Arnold's going to be in it, because I don't think he has that much <laughs> left in him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially, you know, they've created this story element in Terminator Five or you know Genesis, um, where he's Kenny Size, right? Where he's an older Terminator, like he looks physically older. Why that was? Why why Skynet felt that was necessary? I don't know. <laughs> to wait and see on that. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, even even still, you know, there's going to get to a point where he's just going to be, or he, he's going to look his age. He still looks fairly young for his age. Cause, I mean, like, I think he's pushing seventy. Yeah, I, was, I thought he was like mid sixties. Yeah. Um, if he's, God, if he's not 70 already, Jesus, I don't even know. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, they gotta get this thing on the ball, and it does sound like they're gonna be filming them back-to-back, kind of like, uh, Matrix, I guess. There was something else we talked about recently, you know? I think Pirates of the Caribbean did that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that might be kind of a, a, a trend as of, like, the last 10 years or so. Lord of the Rings, I guess, too. He's 67. Yeah, okay. His birthday is the day before mine. Hey. Um, so, yeah, Terminator Gen, Gen, Gen Ice Ice uh, is going to be starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Clark, Amelia Clark, uh, Jay Courtney, J.K. Simmons, um, Deo Akinini, <laughs> Bung Hung Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> um and Matt Smith. Um Who? So, hmm? Who? Matt Smith. Who? She'll say yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh Yes. And it will be directed by uh Alan Taylor who directed Thor to the Dark World. Um so I guess I mean this probably a little far off from any extra news about this so we'll let you know if you hear if we hear anything there's a movie that we had uh, it was slated to come out later this year. We had it on our calendar. We, I think we've talked about it on the show before. It's a horror comedy called Cooties. Mm-hmm. It was recently at Sundance, and it ended up being picked up by Lionsgate. Well, turns out they're actually going to push the date because they're filming a new ending. Yeah. Which makes me a little scared. 
Because yeah. I'm wondering if it's like Paranormal Activity, where they're like, well, we can't make a sequel with that ending. Yeah. Right. I, don't, I don't know if that's the plan for a sequel or if they like actually have something that they like better. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's this is uh, um, the the script was written by uh, uh, Lee Wanell, mm-hmm. who is you know um, Saw and uh, uh, Insidious. Thank you. Um, and so it, it, you know, it's it's starring, jeez, um, uh, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Uh, uh, Lee Wanell is in it. Uh, Jorge Garcia, Rain Wilson, um, Jack McBrayer, mm-hmm. um, the, the chick from SNL, Nassim Pedrad. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's got a lot of things going for it, and you know, I think that's probably the reason we're so excited to see it. But yeah, I, I'm kind of the same boat with you for them to be writing a new ending. I mean, that just sounds like the studio pushed them to do it. Yeah. Um, Because maybe... I think they're probably trying to get sequels out of it. I wouldn't be surprised. Because that's what they... I mean, that's what they did with Paranormal Activity. Yeah, it's exactly what they did with Paranormal Activity. That's what they did with Saw movies. Um, So I think it was probably a very definitive ending, and they said, well, no, change it so we can do some sequels. It's very possible. Yeah. Um... For those of you that don't know, the movie is about a mysterious virus that hits a small Illinois town, affecting only the prepubescent population, transforming them into violent, feral little monsters. The virus centralizes in the town's elementary school, and quickly the infected students have the teaching staff under siege, acting out deadly revenge fantasies with an eerie sense of childlike glee. Finally, the teachers band together, led by a hapless substitute, Elijah Wood, who grew up in the town, realizing they must do the unthinkable if they hope to survive. Right. They're going to kill some kids. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, as far as when we might see, expect a release date, um, Elijah Wood uh, says the status is hopefully January of next year. It definitely won't be this year, but it'll be after the first of the year, and we're looking at January. But we're still waiting to see from Lionsgate where they feel it's, like it's going to sit. So, I don't know. I still I, want to see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just, I don't, I don't really know what to think about this. I, I don't know. I, I hope, like, when the DVD comes out or something, I hope it has the original ending. Yeah. Yeah, that was important with, like we mentioned, Paranormal Activity. That was important for me to be able to enjoy the movie more, was to see the original ending. Yeah, every time I watch Paranormal Activity, it's like, which ending do you want? And I'm like, original. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, well... So, look for this in January, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, and uh, listen for our review sometime after that. This one goes out to the one I love. This one goes out to the one I've left behind. So Stephen King is a very busy man. Yeah, no kidding. The guy's got adaptations all over the place. Yeah, I mean, when you're so when you, when you're a writer that's so prolific, and so you, you so consistently put out good work, you know, obviously that's going to be a target for you know movies and television. At this point, I think Stephen King could hollow out a book 
poop in it and still sell it to someone. <laughs> um more to the point, uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen King's uh, book, The Things They Left Behind, which is actually a short story in kind of an anthology uh, called Just After Sunset, um, it has been optioned, for, or I guess it's not necessarily optioned, but it's actually being developed for a television series by CBS. Um, this is not the first thing to be, uh, first thing of Stephen King's to be adapted into actual television series. Did CBS do Under the Dome? I think that's ABC. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the, the story is about um, a man named Scott who worked on the 10th floor of the World Trade Center. On the day of the Twin Tower attack, Scott's inner voice tells him to stay home from work and enjoy the sun, which ends up sparing his life from the attack and gives him extreme survivor's guilt. Nearly a year later, items belonging to his dead colleagues begin to appear in his apartment. Even after getting rid of the objects, they reappear, which forces Scott to give the items to his neighbor to store. Though, though Scott's neighbor ends up having a horrific, yeah, horrific nightmares about the object's owner and their few last minutes of life on 9-11. She promptly returns to the items to Scott and makes him understand what he must do. He must return the objects to the immediate family of the victims. As Scott does this, he slowly feels guilt fade away. Um, so, I guess I should have mentioned that was a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> um, I mean, there's nothing terribly specific, I guess, but, um, it doesn't matter because apparently the te- television series is going to be essentially completely different. Oh. Um, uh, the pilot is going to center around two investigators who must carry out the unfinished business of the dead. Um. So yeah. Okay. I was going to say that original almost sounds like my name is Earl. A little bit. I thought of it like I thought of a combination between my name is Earl and um, the Dead Zone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, obviously a huge change in the television series, and it almost sounds like they're really just using the title. Did you see who's producing this? Seth Graham Smith. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of busy men. <laughs> and uh, Greg Berlanti, who's on Arrow, which is a good show. Have, yeah. Have you is, watched... is he on Arrow? Or he's a producer on Arrow? He, he's, he's a producer of oh, Arrow. Oh, okay. Um, I'm surprised Seth Graham Smith didn't like write this. It's like, <laughs> written by Seth Graham Smith. And Stephen King's like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on now. Um, I don't know. This, this reminds me a lot of taking the title of Friday the 13th and saying Friday the 13th, the series, and then having it nothing to do with Jason. Yeah. Um, But who knows? I mean, I hear from my family members that Under the Dome sucks. I have heard the same. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of hope for this. All right. Neat. We'll see. Uh, no other news on when production's starting, um, but uh, we'll let you know when we hear. Back to 
our roots a little bit <laughs> and uh, have an obligatory Kevin Smith reference. <laughs> By now, I'm sure you've heard of the movie Tusk. If not, then you haven't been listening to our show. It's gotten a surprising amount of publicity. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily publicity, but like, you know, uh, commercials and, and stuff of that nature. And like, I think when I, when I went and saw um, As Above, So Below, which we're reviewing later on, um, there was a trailer for it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't get that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, it comes out in the States, I believe, next week. Oh, uh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Kevin Smith and A24 Films have developed a very unique uh, marketing ploy here. Let's be straight. It's stupid. Okay, yeah, it's stupid. Um, and to be honest, it, it kind of makes me less excited about the movie. Definitely. Um, anybody that's familiar with Kevin Smith knows that he's a giant fucking pothead. And that's relatively new, like in the last 10 years. Um, you know, playing a character like Silent Bob for so many years, you'd think that he's just, he and Jason Mewes were just, just, uh, you know, worthless stoners like their entire lives. But actually, no, Kevin Smith just picked it up when he did, um, Zack and Miri. Because he was hanging out with fucking Seth Rogen. Um, yeah, so... I forgot where I was going with that. Fuck me. They're releasing <laughs> special edition Tusk Marijuana. Right. It, it will be available at a dispensary in Los Angeles called Buds and Roses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's going to be two different strands... Mr. Tusk and White Walrus. Yeah. And each will come with a special grinder. Oh, boy. Yeah, which has the, the logo of whatever strand. And uh, then they are encouraging people to post photos on the social networks of them blowing smoke out of their nostrils, along with the hashtag walrus breath. This is... So fucking stupid. You know, we, we, we talked about this the other day. And I think it was you saying that, like, if you want to smoke pot, fine. But when it starts invading our personal space... Well, to me, it's like, I don't care if you smoke pot. I just don't like potheads. Yeah. Like, I drink beer. I go to beer festivals. But I don't wear beer shirts everywhere and tell everybody how much how awesome beer is and like that's it's my business. Yeah, I drink it for me. I don't drink it to share with the world. Yeah, and so it, I don't. I just I get so frustrated with people who wear you know pot hats and pot socks and their whole identity is that they're a stoner. Yeah, and it's like I uh, this this may sound familiar for you to you because I'm basically citing an email that. <laughs> <laughs> we were sending back and forth. Uh, I said it's it's like the bacon fad. I said, Don't get me wrong. I love bacon. Bacon's awesome. And I'd be game to put it on most things. But I'm not about to include it in every single fucking thing I eat. Uh, that's insane. And I'd probably die from hypertension or heart disease or heart attack or high cholesterol. <laughs> uh 
I'm not going to start buying bacon-scented things or bacon-flavored things or run around wearing shirts with bacon on them because I, you know, and telling people how much better life can be with bacon in it. Um, you know why? Because people that eat bacon already know it's awesome. And people that don't eat bacon will just get irritated and pissed off by the fat fuck that looks like a slob and bought everything at Archie McPhee's telling them that they should eat bacon. Yeah. And that's really my stance. Like, I, I feel that relates perfectly to this. And, like, in that same email, I remember I had compared it to, like, drinking whiskey. Yeah. Because people want to make it seem like smoking pot is the same as smoking cigarettes. When in actuality, it's closer to drinking than it is to smoking cigarettes. Yeah. And it's it's like if you tell somebody... Yeah, so, you know, I just wake up every day around noon, drink a bottle of whiskey, you know, then just drink throughout the day and hang out in my underwear. People are going to go, you have a serious problem and you should seek counseling. Yeah. (laughs) But when it's like, yeah, I wake up and I smoke a joint and then I hit the bong a couple times a day, people are like, oh, all right. Yeah. No, that's not acceptable social behavior. Yeah, and, and, you know, I was very against, you know, here in Washington State, obviously pot is legal now um, to an extent. Right. You have to buy it from a licensed dealer. You can only smoke it in your own home. You're only allowed to carry around up to an ounce, I think. So there are rules attached to it, which would be fine if I wasn't just so opposed to it being legal to begin with. Um, See, I'm fine with it being legal. This is a whole other conversation. I don't know. Like, people always argue. It's like, oh, well, now, uh, now people can, or now, you know, stoners can contribute to, uh, you know, to contribute to the taxes and the overall income of the state. It's like, no, they're not. They're going to go find it from the same dealers that they've been buying from for years cheaper. Yeah. It's like, now it's just, it, it's still illegal. I mean, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, it's like the only time they're going to go to, um, like, a, like an actual licensed and licensed dealer or, you know, a store, I guess, um, is when they can't get it from someone else. You're probably right, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was like when I would go to... when when Back when booze was only sold in actual state-run liquor stores here in Washington State, if I was going out late at night, then I knew that I had to go to the Indian... Or I, I had to go to the liquor store on the Indian reservation because all the state-run stores were closed. And this is exactly the same situation. True. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it's just really fucking dumb. And Well, back to the point. <sighs> Sorry. I'm, I'm hoping that the only reason that this is a tie-in to the movie is because Smith was high when he came up with the idea, which doesn't say anything because he's high when he's not sleeping. Yeah, he's always high. Like, I, I I hope that it's not a lot of like drug humor and drug themes in the movie because I just don't enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. I, I'm worried that the spinoff of uh, Tusk, uh, Yoga Hosers, I feel like that's going to be a lot of um, like stoner humor, basically. And not not like Jay and Silent Bob, which is actually funny, but just like stupid, just pot jokes all the time. It's like people love Cheech and Chong. I I don't find it funny. Like I like their albums, like their old comedy albums and stuff. 
and their uh, routines, those were funny. But like nice dreams and um, you know, um, why is that the only one I can remember? <laughs> what are the other titles? Uh, there was one called Next Movie. Was it just a Cheech and Chong movie? It might have been. Whatever. They're movies. They're just not funny because there's just one long pot joke. Yeah. But anyway. So, yeah, like I said, I'm hoping that that's not involved in the movie because I'm eager to see it. Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, if you're a stoner and live in L.A., then go get you some white walrus. Yeah. And then shut up about it. And smoke it responsibly. So I think it was early part of summer, May, maybe a little earlier, when we talked to you about the great horror comp- camp out. Oh, yeah, it was right around Crypticon. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, where basically people would camp out <laughs> um, in this environment that's set up like a horror movie. There's you know slashers and, and dangerous things coming after you it's it's basically like a real life horror movie um well as real as they can make it right <laughs> um and honestly i didn't hear great things about it oh really i didn't hear anything i i heard like people say that if they would have known what it was going to be like they wouldn't have done it oh that's disappointing yeah i mean they weren't very specific but yeah i was kind of let down by that I mean, I try not to buy the hype whichever way it goes, but still. Um, kind of on the same wavelength as that, in uh, England, there is a group called... Excuse You're excused. Thank you. Now leave. All right. <laughs> now, in England, there's a company called Chili Sauce who has set up pretty much a, a very similar... Um, idea where it's it's all werewolf based like you go out with a group of friends it's 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 almost like a combination of um kind of like those zombie paintballing adventures uh combined with something like the great horror camp out why do i say keep saying comp out it's not even a thing (laughs) (laughs) um uh where you, there, there's actually a, kind of a, a story behind it and uh, a theme. Um, the storyline is you, you and, and your friends are... Or, sorry. It, <laughs> let me start one more time. Welcome there, to the Grave Plot Market. <laughs> there is a special ops team that went into the countryside and went missing right around the same time that living... Uh, or, sorry, livestock mutilations were reported in the area. It is your job, along right. Uh, it is your job, along with your friends, to go on a search for the team, with the goal being to outwit and outplay the hungry werewolves roaming the premises. And the interesting thing about this is, you have the option to just stay for a few hours, like just go out on just kind of a short adventure, uh, or you have the option to stay overnight. At which point. The vamp or not vampires, werewolves 
will continue to pursue you throughout the night until daylight. Uh, so, you know, obviously this costume actors not real werewolves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, uh, fuck that then. But, I mean, like, these the, the pictures in this, in this article of the werewolves, I, I, I presume the werewolves, I mean, they're wearing pretty cool-looking masks. Um, but it looks like they're wearing, like, almost like Nazi top coats or something. Oh, yeah, like, almost like pea coats. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not as effective, I think. <laughs> Werewolf women of the SS? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd much rather see, you know, some guy wearing, like, flannel and torn up jeans, you know. Yeah, the, the stereotypical wolf man. Yeah. Yeah, this is the uh, the werewolf hunting experience, and it says it, it draws its inspiration from the film Dog Soldiers. Which, yeah. Makes sense, because that was a British film. Yeah, and actually, we will be talking about that in Week of the Werewolf. Indeed. Um, I know I said I wasn't going to reveal all of them, but... This is just a little little peek. Just a little taste. A little, just a little nip. Just a little, little bit of leg. <laughs> I'm just going to show you half of my nipple. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway. yeah, this is in the UK, so we're going to go when we uh, go to do our film with Hank and Wayne. As soon as they give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, Wayne, we're waiting. Uh, yeah, and it uh, takes place in Birmingham, if I'm not mistaken. That's in Alabama. You idiot. Um, yeah. You know, this article makes an interesting point. It says, uh, you know... It starts out with, whereas haunted houses once u- were once used to satiate the inherent desire... See, there it is again. <laughs> um, inherent desire of horror fans to have the daylight scared out of them. Times have changed, and over the years, those routine walkthrough attractions with costume actors jumping out at totally expected times are no longer doing it for those who are ready to have the terror taken to new levels. And that's actually from an article on iHorror.com. Um, it's true. Everything's much more immersive now. Definitely. And I... I even haunted houses, because you look at like blackout. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know. It, I don't want to read the whole article, but it goes on to say, as a result, this desire for something different, something more, not only to have haunted houses gotten, not only if haunted houses gotten more intense, but so too have many different themed weekend retreats um, popped up across the world. Um, which makes you wonder what's next. Yeah, I mean, how Where do we go from here? Do you have to sign a waiver saying that they will kill you unless you? <laughs> <laughs> I almost wonder, you know, um, because I mean, yeah, I think this is about as intense as it gets, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, whether or not I, mean, I assume this is like an advertising picture that they've attached here, but it's a bunch of guys wearing camo and what appears to be paintball guns. I hope could be airsoft. Could be. But I mean, I don't think I don't think actors are going to really appreciate you shooting with airsoft guns. True, um, pellet guns or something. Yeah, something. Um, they don't look like paintball guns. They they don't. I don't see like a CO two tank or anything. I don't see a hopper. Uh, I don't so, know. Maybe uh, pellet guns or something. Possibly. Uh, but yeah. Like, like like you said, things like blackout and great horror campout, and you know, it, you know, even these haunted houses that have changed to where, you know, it used to be back in the day, like haunted houses, they wouldn't touch you. Yeah, and you know, 
Now, I think it grew into a point where they wouldn't touch you because they were worried about lawsuits. And now, like a lot of haunted houses, they're saying, you know, our actors will touch you. So if you're worried about that, don't come in. <laughs> yeah. They, like, you don't have to sign a waiver or anything, but they, they do have to post it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Um, I remember... <laughs> sorry, I'm going to go off here a little bit. But the, the one that I worked at, there was a room that had all these masks and gloves on the wall. Mm-hmm. And some of them were just masks and gloves stapled to the wall. And then other ones had holes in them. So the actors could come in from behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy came through and I like went in there and I kind of tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and he just starts cussing at me. He's like, you're not allowed to fucking touch me. What the fuck do you think you're doing? And I just like pulled my hands out and walked away. And he, so he's standing there yelling at just a mask on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid asshole. <laughs> It would have been great if he had, like, punched it and just, like, the mask just caved in. Just be like, oh, my God, there's no one there! <laughs> that um, would have freaked him out. Uh, it, uh, you know, this topic was actually brought up and discussed pretty at length in a um, semi-recent episode of uh, Return of the Living podcast, which I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but... They've been doing their their haunt previews lately, so it was before that though. Oh, okay. Um, if you haven't checked them out, you should. They're uh, they're they're a good podcast. It's a bunch of guys who do haunting in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty funny guys. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> um. So yeah, they're just they're returnofthelivingpodcast dot com. Um, you check them out and check out that episode where they go pretty in depth about how, you know, haunted houses have needed to advance over the years and you kind of change their strategy a little bit to keep people scared. And they have very, very varying opinions about touch haunting too. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, anyway, so, uh, if you're interested in the, the, I believe it's called the werewolf experience. Um, werewolf hunting experience. Ah, okay. Um, you can go to the ch- the Chili Sauce website, which is at chilisauce.co.uk, and there should be a link on their homepage that will take you there. I'll take you there. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. So, finally, we just wanted to catch you up on all the various horror-themed TV shows. We've talked before about how, like, TV is kind of becoming, like, it's getting overtaken by horror, which I'm all for. Yeah, definitely. I just, I don't want it to be... Oversaturated? Yeah, over, I was going to use the term, overfished, you know? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we just wanted to give you some of the the premiere dates here. The uh, series premiere of the new show Z Nation on Sifi is going to be um, yesterday. Yeah, when sorry. We're recording this. this I, I, <laughs> I meant to put that in the notes. Yeah, it's, it's premiered already by the time you've heard this. Yeah, but, it's uh, September 12th. But the second the second episode will be on uh, in two days. The 19th? Yes. Okay. Um, yep, 19th. Sleepy Hollow. Will be returning on Monday, September twenty second, which is interesting because this is the Fox that or the show that Fox basically set up to fail. They give it the fucking death slot on Friday, and 
did not expect it to survive the season. I mean, they 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 really wanted to put it on and be done with it, which I don't I don't understand why networks do that. Yeah, they do it all the fucking time. Um, but uh, yeah, this one actually survived. It was wildly popular. I think is something that I discussed with my dad before is like those sh- these shows are tr- constantly trying to capture the um, the X Files feel. Yeah, you know, get that. That supernatural sci-fi, you know, otherworldly feel combined with two characters like Mulder and Scully as they were in like the first few seasons before they started being, you know, you know, you always want to show with a male and female lead, you want some sexual tension there. Mm -hmm. But once they cross that line, then it's not there anymore. It's 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 uh, moonlighting all over again. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, but it did manage to get approved for a second season. So, and I know season one, I believe, is or is coming to Hulu. It was already on Hulu. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. Uh, T- Supernatural, one of Tony's favorite shows, yep. is coming back for season ten. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, this is another show that CW constantly tried to kill, but it's got I, CW itself is primed to die of, at all times, but okay. somehow it just keeps kicking. Uh, well, I mean, they keep making shows that just appeal to teenage girls, and you know. Speaking of which, did you see the thing that I posted the other day of the promo art for Vampire Diaries? Yeah, it just says VD with a drip coming off the V. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Somebody didn't think that through. Actually, several people did. Several think people, that yeah. Because there had to be someone had to design it, someone had to approve it, someone had to publish it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Supernatural should be interesting this season because um, anybody that watched the show. Fuck it. I'm going to spoil it. So, earmuffs. Fuck it. Um, at the end of the season, I, b- I believe uh, Dean. Oh, shit, now I don't even remember. I think Dean died. Well, uh, again, <laughs> oh. um, yeah, but then he came back to life as a demon. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> episode one of season 10 is actually called Dean Mun. I get it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a play on words. And that's going to be October 7th on the CW, as we said. Mm-hmm. American Horror Story returns for season four. This one is called Freak Show. That's going to be October 8th on FX. I feel like we haven't talked enough about this. Freak show? Yeah. I mean, I know we've covered it several times, casting, things of that nature, but I don't know. For as exciting as it is, I don't think we've really covered it properly. I, I think we'll probably talk about it more after it premieres. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, I'm actually really pumped about this. Like, probably more so than I have been since, I since like, season one. Yeah, I didn't care for season two. Season three was better than season two, but not as good as season one. Yeah, definitely. And But yeah, this one looks good. I know that season three, you know, uh, Coven was supposed to have been. It had these, these underlying themes of being really empowering to women, but I know a lot of women like very much disagreed. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that before. Did we? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Walking Dead, as we said, will be back uh, October twelfth on AMC. When we last left Rick and his crew. <laughs> Previously on The Walking Dead. Uh, but yeah, you, as you remember, or hopefully you remember. Um, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Rick and his crew um, were last seen in a black 
or a blacked out uh, train car. Um, in Terminus. Yeah, in Terminus, sorry. After being chased by people. Yeah. In the Terminus residence. Um, and it didn't look good for old Rick. <laughs> but, according to Rick, they're going to be sorry because they fucked with the wrong people. Right. He said screwed, but in the comic he said fucked. Right. Uh, so that should be fun. Yeah. And then Grimm is coming back October 24th on NBC. I started to watch Grimm, and then I just kind of forgot. Yeah. So I've seen about half of season one. <laughs> this is going to be season four? I believe so. Um, it's it's getting good. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, see, it's not that I, did, I didn't like it. I just kind of forgot that I was watching it and started watching something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I, 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 I get that. Um, in the first season, it tried, had a lot of trouble like pulling me in. Like it seemed, it was interesting to me, but there wasn't a whole lot going on, and it was like a lot of like just really shitty done, shitty, shittily, shittily done, <laughs> kind of poorly done CGI going on. Yeah, it, it, it's improved a little bit, um, and they use a lot more practical effects than they used to, um, and the story's gotten pretty good too. Like, did I mention? Um, I think I maybe did tell you in person. Or, you know, face-to-face. Um, when my wife and I were in Portland a few weeks ago... I oh, yeah. We actually ran into the actress that plays Rosalie. Yeah, you didn't tell me that. Um, I should say my dog accidentally ran into her, and she kind of froze like he was like a fucking Rottweiler or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, spoiler. We left off last season. Nick had actually lost his grim abilities. Oh. Like, he can no longer see Besson. But there's another Grimm in the picture now with trouble. And at um, the wedding with... Um, oh, shit. I'm, I'm terrible with names, even character names. The wedding. They're, they're at a wedding with a bunch of Besson. And Besson can tell when somebody is a Grimm. And so they discovered that she was a Grimm and carried her off. Uh, anyway, All right. so that's where we stand at this point. And then finally, the series premiere of Constantine will also be on October 24th, also on NBC, following Grimm. Very smart to follow it with a follow a show that's probably going to be successful on its own to have a, a successful show lead it in. Yeah, and we never just, see that a lot. It, yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic. No, I wasn't. <laughs> um, but I think as we talked about NBC trying to set up this, or was it NBC or just yeah, it was set up kind like of a like horror a horror block. Yeah, but you know that, at the time that included Dracula. Yeah, Dracula's which, gone now. <laughs> I which I'm still a little bummed out about. I feel like if it got a second season, it could have been a lot better because uh, it had that that potential. I think, but oh well. I don't know. I didn't watch it. So, those are your horror TV updates, and that is it for horror business. That is it for horror business. Uh, Before we go on, I guess let's take a short break and hear from one of the other pod gods. Good morning. (laughs) Oh, Josh. Really? We can't do another one like this. So, we got to keep going. Don't do it, Nate. Come on, man. We don't want to do this all night. Pussy. Okay, go ahead. Okay, ready? 
Good morning and welcome to the promo for Underhogs. Sorry, let me start that over. I, was, yeah. I, I thought it was weird you said good morning. You always think that. I know. So I said I always thought it was weird. Good morning and welcome to the promo for Underhogs. I'm Ben. I'm here with Nick. Hey, everybody. The Underhogs Pod Gods. This is like almost impossible. No, I think, I think just roll. This is, I mean, if they want to listen to the podcast, this is what it's like. <laughs> they better just get used to it. It's us trying to do a podcast saying, and Nate torpedoing <laughs> it. That is not at all. Uh, you dive by every There was episode. one week where you said you guys said, I'm too tired to do the podcast. You got, you need to pick it up, Nate. This, and that's what I did. Describe the podcast in 10 seconds. Nate talking. <laughs> and then everybody else is listening. that really what you think? I think that's really what he <laughs> yeah, thinks it is. I know. <laughs> Can I Welcome to this week's episode you know, of Nate like, Talking um, with Ben and Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the episode where we were too tired and you talked the whole time was one of our worst episodes. <laughs> yeah, not good. Well, it wasn't my fault, All but right. it's still good. You should listen to it. <laughs> yes, um, Nick. The 10 episode. Seconds. Yeah, it's a Nate. You're done talking. Now. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pussy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> it's an episode. Uh, it's a podcast where we talk Man, mine was so much about things. No, what are we? Um, current events. Jesus no. Christ! Uh, 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 it's uh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. It's a podcast where Did three friends get together and talk about their daily lives, their weekly lives, and current events that goes on throughout the week. What's the difference in daily and weekly we lives? We never talk about current events. We also never we talk about current events. Talk about and current I don't events. really like you guys. You're not my friends. We only hang out on these nights. Not at all. No, well, we do. Underhogs.com. Follow us on Twitter at Underhogs. Search for us on iTunes. Underhogs. We're God. What is that? We're podcasts. What did you yeah, say? We're God. We're God. It came out. I was going to say we're we podcasts, God. but it came out. It came out. We're gods, which is a kind of fish. God, that is a fish. Yeah. Which uh, is gross. I'm glad that your phone is in this, by the way. That's uh, good. We're professional about it. Who cares? All right, signs off. Seriously, we're better. Then, then, then what? Uh, then what you're listening to right now. Yeah. We'll try harder. They're listening to us right now. Oh, my gosh. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> Listen to Underhogs. We'll try harder than this. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think next up we've got uh, a little treat for you guys. Uh, recently there was a movie released called Infliction. It's a... What's a compiled footage film? Assembled footage. I Assembled. Think I think that's the term you use. Um, and we spoke with the writer, director, and producer. Yes. Uh, Jack Thomas Smith. So uh, let's jump into that and hear what old Jack had to say. I got an idea for a movie, and it goes like this. Check it out, it's about a boy who gets his finger caught in a bottle of Mr. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, hello. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, okay. we got we're you now. good now. <laughs> All right. Um, cool. Cool. Okay. Great. Okay. So yeah, I guess we got to pick it up from the top. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. All right. <laughs> we'll do it all over again. All right. Hey guys, this is Taylor of Terror. And Skeletoni. And we are here with the writer, director, and producer of the movie Infliction, Mr. Jack Thomas Smith. How are you, Jack? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. You got it. Yeah, so um, so you've been a 
bit of a busy guy lately. Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty crazy, man. Um, my uh, my new film, Infliction, uh, was released nationwide on uh, DVD, video on demand, and digital HD July 1st. Uh, was released by Virgil Films and Entertainment, which is the same company that distributed Super Size Me. Um, so, you know, we've been busy promoting the uh, all summer, the DVD release. Um, and before that, uh, we had a uh, limited theatrical run, uh, you know, New York, Jersey, Virginia, Pennsylvania. We've been all over with it. Um, you know, so we were doing that in the spring. And, and actually, we've got a bunch of screenings coming up. Um, you know, we'll be out in Chicago. We were actually just back from Pittsburgh uh, and it's all done to, um, to help support the, uh, you know, the DVD release, um, you know, all over the country. Uh, and then also, uh, we just signed with a, uh, a foreign sales agent who is now representing infliction, uh, at all the major festivals, Toronto, uh, the AFM, Sundance, Berlin, Cannes, uh, he'll be taking the film to all these different festivals and markets to sell it. Uh, to international buyers uh so hopefully when all is said and done infliction is going to be distributed worldwide wow that's cool well it sounds like it's a good kind yeah, of busy thank you. it's a great kind of busy i mean it's it's you know it's it's a little overwhelming because a big part of marketing it in the united states is social media and that's how we met you know we met on twitter right yeah. um and it's great you know i mean twitter has been amazing i mean we've got uh we've got about a dozen twitter accounts going um and i actually just put together the current numbers uh we're pushing around 50,000 followers between all the accounts combined um, and Twitter provides internal numbers, um, how many people view each account per week. Um, and our numbers from, we started this back in February, March, I want probably about February, I want to say this year, uh, we're over a million views now. So that's, you know, that's people, you know, seeing the poster, uh, checking out the, the, each particular Twitter account, all the accounts combined, we've had over a million views. So, I mean, that's free advertising. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, it is. It is. And when you, you know, and when you're in the indie world, man, I mean, free, you know, beg, borrow, and steal. That's how you got to do it to make the film and distribute. It. We know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, why don't you tell us about about yourself a little bit? Um, so, I, I guess how how did you first kind of fall into into horror? What, what first got you on the on the horror theme, or you know, the the I guess the genre kind of in your life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been into it. I mean, I was, I was a kid, man, when I, uh, I, I was like nine years old and I read the shining by Stephen King and I was absolutely blown away. And after that, I mean, I started writing, you know, scary short stories. Um, I actually wrote a uh, novel between the age of, uh, nine to, uh, ages of nine, uh, nine to 12. So by the time I was 12 years old, I had like a 300 page novel that I had written and it was a pretty brutal horror story. Um, yeah, I never got published or anything like that, but I mean, the fact that, you know, I was that young and I was that committed and, and that passionate about writing, um, you know, that it's just, it's always been in me and I, I just, I'm a big fan of horror. Um, I'm a fan of good horror though. You know, I mean, I'm not, I honestly, I'm not a fan of torture porn, man. I'm just, it's not my cup of tea and you know? I, I'm not, I'm not into this, you know, like how many different ways can we torture a half naked girl, you know, and I, it's just not, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I'm, I'm more into the, you know, <clears throat> um, you know, suspense and tension and, 
you know, like I love the original thing, you know, uh, John Car. I should say John Carpenter's original, the thing. Um, I love that. I love the original Dawn of the Dead, Halloween. You know, I mean, those those to me, you know, they're just great horror movies. Um, so anyway, that's that's always been in me. I've I've always been a fan of Stephen King and George Romero and John Carpenter and De Palma. And um, and I just those were my main influences. Um, so it's, it's just, that's always something that I've wanted to do is just, you know, write and direct horror films. Cool. Yeah. Stephen King's a good place to start. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I yep. think I, I, re- I relate to you on that level. That's, that's basically where my horror journey started was with Stephen King too. So. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I, you know, what's funny to, I, I wonder how many millions and millions of people can say the same thing that you and I are saying, you know? Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what a iconic person, you know? For sure. And I know we, uh, we were recently at a, uh, a horror convention here in Seattle and, uh, we spoke with the Saskas. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Uh, they're a, a, no. a twin sister, uh, directing duo. They, they did American I've Mary. Heard of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, they basically say, said the same thing that they're, their whole love of horror basically started with uh, Stephen King too. So it's a, yeah, it's a, seems like it's a pretty widespread like joining of, of people. <laughs> just all started from Stephen King. It's the truth. I mean, he has completely inspired and influenced a generation. I mean, I, th- I think maybe one person, one other person I could think of that probably had a wider influence, influence than him uh, would have been George Lucas. I mean, you know, Star Wars. I mean, you know, talk about a film and, and a, a director and producer that probably influenced even more people. But other than George Lucas, Stephen King's got to be number two, just in the whole scheme of things, just whether it's horror, film, writing, whatever, it's got to be Lucas, number one, Stephen King, number two. That that would be my guess. That's uh, it's hard to argue against. <laughs> yeah. So how did you first get started in filmmaking? Um, <clears throat> that's, that's actually a good question. And it was funny it, when, uh, when, when you asked it before about how did you fall into it, um, th- that's kind of the perfect way to describe it. Um, I, uh, when I was a teenager, I worked at a video store in New Jersey. And uh, <clears throat> I, at, at that time, I just started writing my very first screenplay. And there was a gentleman that used to come into the video store all the time, and he would rent horror movies. Uh, his name's Lee Estrada. He's still, we're still friends. Uh, but anyway, Lee would come in, rent horror movies, and, and he and I would talk, you know, nonstop about the genre. And I told him, hey, I'm, I'm writing my very first screenplay. And uh, he, he said, very, you know, very cool. You know, when you're done with it, I know a guy in Jersey who's a local independent horror filmmaker you know, give him a shout when you're done. And, and that's exactly what I did. When I finished the script, I, I called Ted, Ted Bohas, that's his name. Uh, and I sent him my script, uh, Ted, you know, Ted's done a bunch of independent horror films. He had a couple films that were released theatrically back in the eighties. Um, yeah, he's had a solid, you know, career as, as an indie horror guy. Um, but anyway, Ted kind of took me under his wing. He read my script. He said, you know, he liked it. It was a little too big for what he normally does. Uh, so he and I co-wrote a, a co-wrote a screenplay called The Regenerated Man. Um, you know, it was a, a low-budget indie kind of sci-fi horror film. It was like tongue-in-cheek, campy. Um, it was a uh, you know like a like a, a '50s horror spoof type of thing. Um, you know, Ted directed it. I co-wrote it with them. Uh, we ultimately doubled our investment on it. Um, we basically pulled our money. You know, I 
I got friends, family, Ted got friends and family. Um, I was even crazy enough to take out a credit card that had like an $8,000 credit line and just <laughs> oh, maxed wow. it out. So yeah, it was pretty ballsy, you know? Um, and thank God we were able to sell the film and, and we doubled our investment on it. And, uh, and honestly, you know, I mean, the film is, is, you know, it's not the best. Um, but <clears throat> I learned a ton from it. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't stand there with my arms folded playing producer, you know, because I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I, I volunteered to hold the boom mic, you know, and that's how I learned. I learned what the sound guys do, what the art department does, the gaffers, the grips. I learned set etiquette. You know, I learned basically from top to bottom or from bottom to top, I should say, um, how how a film set works. Um, and that's important, you know, I mean, it's important to know what every department is doing because then as you progress in your career, you know, what's involved in each department and how much leave, you know, prep time do they need? Uh, you know, what, what do they need to, to do what they have to do? And that just ultimately makes you a better filmmaker and, and a better producer. Yeah. I think that could fall. Um, so it was, it was a great learning experience. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think that could fall in, <laughs> into a lot of industries. It's like when you, when you learn what you're subordinates or i guess for lack of a better term your subordinates do it makes you a better yeah. boss yeah so. i i agree i agree i mean it's no different i mean exactly it's no different than starting at a company you know in the mailroom yeah you know you start in the mailroom and you work your way up and then you know and then you're an assistant and then you know maybe you're you're a supervisor then middle management then upper management then a you know a vp or yeah you know what i'm saying i mean it's it's yeah. no different you know same thing with 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 movies you know i mean the best way to learn anything is to learn at the very bottom and work your way up and it just gives you a better understanding for sure so um i guess you know <laughs> you, you mentioned uh before uh Infliction is kind of the, the main reason we're here. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of give us a brief synopsis of the movie and, and tell us what it's about. Sure, no problem. Um, <clears throat> the way I describe Infliction is that it's a uh, disturbing assembled footage film that documents a murder spree committed by two brothers in North Carolina in 2011 and the horrific truth behind their actions. Um, it's a pretty brutal film. Um, the subject matter is very, um, and, and, and I'm not giving away much by saying this, it basically deals with the long-term effects of child abuse um, and the empowerment of the victims over their abusers. Uh, so infliction really kind of blurs the lines uh, between the antagonist and the protagonist. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's one of those films that you will definitely be talking uh, after you see it. Um, you know, we've had screenings and we've done Q&A sessions and the Q&A sessions get pretty lively. Uh, and, and it's funny because it, I've noticed that it really seems that women are connecting with infliction, especially moms, mm. because when you start talking about child abuse with moms, watch out. You know? sure. So um, so it's it's definitely a heavy subject matter. Yeah, it, it uh, definitely is. Um, and uh, watching the trailer. uh mm -hmm. I, there, there were times where it's like, like you said, it kind of blurs the lines between protagonist and antagonist. It's just like, mm -hmm. where, well, are these guys act? Do they have like kind of a noble purpose, or are they just assholes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly, psychotic. right? Yeah. Are they just like? I mean, there's, yeah. there's even the line in the trailer where she says, "Are you filming good people or bad people?" And he says, "Is there a difference?" Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and that's that's what the whole thing, what the whole film is about. I mean. 
it's you know and there's and there's a very interesting scene in there where they're having a discussion about nature versus nurture and you know that particular scene you know they're 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 shooting the shit with a bartender um you know and and kenny believes that people are just born you know they're they're destined to their genetics you know that whatever you are genetically that's what you're destined to and the bartender wholeheartedly believed in 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 free will um but then the older brother john he felt that it was kind of a balance between the two that you know your genetics kind of leave you pre you know in, in that predisposition to certain things but it's your environment that can kind of tilt you either way. Um, and that's honestly how I feel. I mean, when you're talking about the nature versus nurture debate, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I think genetically you are predisposed to certain things. Um, you know, you get your parents' strength and weaknesses, you know. Um, but then it's how you're raised. It's your life experiences that might trigger certain things, good or bad, in you that kind of, you know, kind of takes you one way or the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, as far as, you know, nature versus nurture, like I can say being one of three siblings, I like I'm different than my other two siblings and they're fairly different from each other. So it's like, you know, raised, you raised by the same parents and all different. So, um, yeah, I think people exactly. exactly are definitely a product of their own environment. So, yeah, yeah. But you can't, but you also have that, that genetic makeup in you too. Yeah, you know definitely. What I'm saying? Yeah. Same and like people tell me. it's not just your parents, you know? What's that? I was going to say, people tell me I'm exactly like my dad all the time. Yes, so. he is. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But and I was, I, I was going to say, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no I mean, it, it could be, you know, you also hear, oh, you take after your uncle. You're just like your uncle, you know. So it's like, so even if the genetics aren't di- directly linked to your parents per se, I mean, it's someone in the family. It's just, it's weird, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, how did this film come about? Like, how did you come up with the concept and like? as far as like the writing process and everything like that, how did that come along? Yeah. I, um, I mean, essentially the way I came up with the idea, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say that infliction is a true story that it's based on a true story, but there are elements of truth to it. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, there, there was a person that I once knew, um, you know, she came from an abusive family. Um, and there are elements of truth in infliction that are kind of based on what this person went, went through that I once knew. And I, I don't want to mention her name, obviously for privacy's sake. Sure. Um, but you know, it's one, and I, I guess what was so troubling about it was you see, you see the vicious cycle, you know, how it repeats itself, that cycle of abuse, you know, her parents were abused by their parents and their parents were abused by their parents. And you just see it, you know, and then then her parents abused her and her siblings and then her siblings had kids and were not the best with their kids. And it's <clears throat> so you kind of see this whole cycle of abuse and it kind of inspired me to write this. You know, I, I didn't you know, I, I didn't want to write a quote unquote found footage film. Um, the story in infliction dictated the style of shooting it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and if you see the film, you'll see at the very end, you will understand why the cameras are such an important part of reason why they were taping everything. And, you know, I didn't want them to just be, you know, hey, there's a monster chasing us. Let's not shut off the camera. You know, when logically it'd be shut off the damn camera and run. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh that's always been our our biggest qualm with found footage is there's always at least one scene where you just go why are you still filming sure 
Sure, yeah. exactly. And that's a challenge when you're doing a found footage film. I mean, the other challenge is, um, <clears throat> you know, and I've, I've heard a lot of positive feedback um, with, with Infliction about the tension in the film, that the whole film, you just feel very tense. And the thing that you take for granted, you know, ironically, we were talking about Stephen King before. Uh, think about the movie The Shining. Okay, that is one of the creepiest films ever made, ever made, you know, obviously based on his novel. Um, take the music away from The Shining and tell me how creepy that, that movie would be. And that's the challenge with found footage is that, you know, with Infliction, it was shot to look like a documentary. So you're not going to have music. You know, you're not going to have, you know, oh, a guy hears a creak and then that that tension building music starts. I mean, how could you do that if you're watching something that was shot documentary style, you know? Right. True. So that's the challenge with found footage. And that's why, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, it took too long to get started. Well, there were slow spots in it. And it's like, yeah, because you take for granted watching a movie, how much music can help propel a story forward. Music can fill in those slow spots. Music can set the mood of a scene. You know, like if you hear, you know, if, if someone's walking down a hall and all of a sudden you start hearing creepy music slowly starting to build, you know, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. So if, if you're doing a found footage film or as we were calling infliction, assembled footage, you don't have that luxury of, OK, someone's walking down the hall and let, you know, cue the creepy music to tell the audience something bad's coming. So, you know, so that's that's the one challenge with with the found footage genre um, is just keeping the audience engaged. That's that's definitely a challenge. Yeah, and I think that's why what I think you could arguably say was the first found footage movie of at least of our you know kind of modern age is probably the Blair Witch Project, and that's why I think it was so effective is because it was shot documentary style and had no music, and so I think it being that that being a new concept, it it, it frightened people a little bit. In that Absolutely. they didn't have that tension building, and so there's just the scare. Like suddenly, you didn't see it coming, you know. Exactly. Yeah, and and honestly, they had a brilliant marketing campaign. I oh, mean, sure. Brilliant. You know, it was it was you know I I call it the modern day War of the Worlds. You know, because yeah. if if you remember with War of the Worlds, they they the I believe it was a radio show initially and or a radio broadcast, and they said that Martians were attacking you know the the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um. So, you know, with Blair Witch, I mean, what a brilliant concept. It was kind of the first War of the Worlds on the Internet, you know. Um, so it was brilliant. You know, I mean, absolutely. You know, and, and they started the genre. So, uh, you know, good for them. Right. Yeah. So do you prefer working in found footage style or would you rather do a regular cinematic style? <clears throat> Yeah, I uh, well, my my I, I prefer the cinematic style to be honest with you. Um, uh, my last film uh, was a film called Disorder, uh, which I wrote, produced, and directed, um, and that was a traditional, you know, cinematic type of film. It was, you know, suspense thriller. It was very, you know, had the Hitchcock feel to it, Brian De Palma feel. Uh, the main character is a paranoid schizophrenic, and the whole film is told from his perspective. So you don't know what's real and what isn't. And right when you think you have it all figured out, there's a whole twist ending to it. Um, and we, we got very lucky with Disorder. It was picked up by Universal for a DVD release. Uh, Warner Brothers released it on pay-per-view and video on demand. Um, so it was cool. You know, it was a little low-budget indie film that we shot in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. 
Um, and you know, we were in every Walmart Hollywood videos. So it was, it was great. Um, and from, from a filmmaking standpoint on that film, it was wonderful to have cutaways. You know, you could cut to a clock, you could cut to an establishing shot of the main character's house. You know, you could cut to dripping faucet. Um, it's all about setting a mood or, 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 or setting the location or, you know, building tension. You have all these luxuries of cutaways or, or other shots, you know, you, you know, guys walking across a room and then you cut to his feet or something walking across the floor, slowly creaking on the floorboards. When you do found footage, though, it's pretty much what you see is what you see. I mean, it's it's a guy holding a video camera, <clears throat> excuse me, holding a video camera. So you're not going to suddenly do a cutaway to a clock. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to suddenly do a cutaway to, to the exterior of a house or you're not going to cross cut between your your main characters. You know, your one character in the house and another one racing to the scene. So you don't have that luxury when you know, when you're doing found footage, because to keep it excuse me, to keep it, um, uh, consistent, you know, you don't, you don't want to take those liberties. Um, you know, and it was funny because one, one review that I read about infliction, they were like, well, you know, the, you know, this person didn't like the found footage genre to begin with. And he was like, you know, at some point I was hoping that we could get away from the found footage and just, you know, kind of let the story roll by itself and all that. And I'm like, yeah, but that wasn't the point, you know, I mean, <laughs> that wasn't the point, you know, um, did you guys, did you guys ever see, um, district nine? Did you ever yeah. see that? Yeah. Okay. Here's, I, I don't know if you caught this or not, but this is what my problem was with district nine. It was exactly that. So, Oh, were you there? I would think we lost you there for a few seconds. Yeah. 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 That's okay. Uh, do you want me to start over? I just uh, saying uh, what, what your what your issue with uh, District Nine was. You just pick up from there. Oh, District Nine. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, with District Nine, so the yeah the the reporter documenting the aliens and how they were, you know, in, in inundating this town and you know the the whole nine yards. And then, if I remember correctly, when he got infected. Or, or whatever it was, where he started turning into one of them, and he disappears. You know, like, in other words, he runs off by himself, but yet we're still watching him. We're still following his actions. And that honestly took me out of the film, because it was literally the first half of the movie was found footage, and then the second half of the movie it was just all of a sudden a movie. And it kind of, I don't know, may, I mean, I'm a filmmaker, so maybe I'm just being nitpicky, but that that kind of bothered me. And I think, I think what the whole, I think the point was, was that people at that point were so caught up in the story that they didn't really catch the shift in the style, but it was like, okay, if, if the whole movie were watching this guy as, as a documentary, but then he takes off all by himself. He doesn't have a camera crew with him. Doesn't have anyone with him. Why are we still watching him? How did, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. You know? So anyway, that was my, that was my personal opinion on it. And that's, that's what took me out of that film. And, you know, it, to me, it's almost like if you're going to do it, you have to be consistent. Or if you're going to make that jump, you have to somehow establish that, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a movie, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but uh, Taylor and I are big fans of it. It's called uh, Behind the Mask. Um, was it the, the Legend of... The Rise of Leslie Vernon. The Rise Vernon. of Leslie Vernon. Um, it's, a, it's a slasher no, movie. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it, it, it's okay. a slasher movie, but it's... Um, it's from the perspective of the slasher, and it's he's kind of like a new slasher, and he's trying to learn. It's like a, mo a mockumentary with this girl. Cool. Who's, he, she's, she's following him, and he's learning to be like the next Jason, the next Freddy. 
Yeah, he, <laughs> they, they kind of live in that universe where those people are real. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of the thing where about, I'd say probably about three quarters of the movie is all strictly documentary, found footage style uh, filmmaking. But then that last quarter of the movie, um, there's a point where the film crew turns their cameras off and then it picks up. It's just strictly cinematic. So it's an interesting transition, but it's very cut and dry. I mean, there's a very solid line where, where it shifts. It pretty much turns into the slasher movie in the last last third. Yeah. I gotcha. I got Now, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I it, mean, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's not a very well-known movie, but we're both big fans of it. Okay, yeah. I mean, if you guys can send me a link to it, I would love to check it out. Sure. See what yeah, we can find. That, that sounds really cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, like a link where I could look it up on IMDb or whatever and I can find it. But, yeah, that, sure. yeah that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And they've got a sequel that's been having trouble getting some steam behind it, so. Yeah. But, um, so, I, what would you say separates uh, inflic- uh, Infliction from other found footage movies? Um, um <clears throat> I mean, pretty much what I, what I had uh, said earlier um, in the sense that it's, but it's really what drives the brothers to do what they're doing. What's behind their actions? I mean, they're not they're not psychopaths, and that's that's all thing is that there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and you know, it's it's funny because when Virgil uh, when Virgil Films picked it up, we had this discussion: Do we market Infliction as a horror film? Or is this more of a thriller or a psychodrama? Um, you know, Virgil wanted to go with the horror aspect, and there are elements of horror. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's to me, it's more of like a psychodrama because it's just really dealing with the struggles that these two brothers, what they're going through, and what's driving them. And then there's there's just such a blurred line between the protagonist and the antagonist in this film. Um, I mean, it's almost like I, I almost want to say it's like a uh, like an art house found footage film, I mean, if that makes sense. I mean, it's it's just it's not. Yeah. And I like Cloverfield. Don't get me wrong. So this isn't like a, a knock on Cloverfield, but it's not, you know, a monster walking through the city, everyone running and the guy won't shut off the camera. You know, <laughs> um, it's not that there's there's a reason why they're documenting everything. So that's that's my personal opinion. What I think separates is that there really hasn't been this type of a found footage film made yet where it's just so, you know, uh, character heavy. So, um, you know, story heavy where you're really following and, and learning their their internal pain as the film progresses. Cool. Cool. So you're, uh, you said you're doing some more screenings. You guys are doing like the festival circuit and stuff? No, I mean, not really festivals. We've been doing horror conventions. Um, I mean, we, we're also peppering in theaters here and there. We're going uh, to be at Days of the Dead in Chicago. Uh, we'll be there in November. Uh, we're going to be at the Chiller uh, Convention in New Jersey in October. Uh, we've got two screenings there. Um, we just screened in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're going to be at the uh, PA Phantom Fest. Uh, that's in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then we're, we're booking other screenings as well, uh, just, you know, all over the place. So uh, we'll probably be doing this right into uh, right into next year. Very cool. And then you said people can get it on iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's available uh, – <clears throat> well, it's in FYE stores. 
Uh, you can get it on walmart.com, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, uh, iTunes, Amazon. You can rent it on Google Play, Cinema Now, Vudu, uh, Vimeo On Demand. Uh, and actually, we just found out that uh, Columbia House, the DVD club, just picked it up for its movie catalog. So that should be available on their catalog, I'd say, probably in October sometime. Wow. So it's everywhere basically <laughs> it's pretty much everywhere man yeah yeah it's pretty much everywhere i mean it's you know and again it's it's really it's awesome man just a little indie film that we shot in north carolina and it's getting this type of release and then it'll be at the toronto film festival next week uh being represented for international sales so uh uh yeah it's it's awesome man i mean everyone that worked on the film they have a lot to be proud of well yeah that's that's very impressive uh, congratulations to you thank you yeah um, all right. So, do you have a, a website? You're, you mentioned your Twitter earlier. Um, you have, have a website you'd like to plug and have people yeah check out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if anyone has uh, any inform, uh, if they're uh, looking for any additional information, uh, they can go to the Infliction website, which is inflictiontapes.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. It's Infliction Tapes. Um, and then also Twitter, we've got like 12 Twitter accounts going, but our, it's awesome. But our primary one is, uh, you know, at infliction tapes, that'd be the best way to reach us. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jack. It's been real nice having you on the show. Oh, thank you. I, I had a great time. Yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, uh, wish you continued success and, uh, take care. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. You thanks too. again, Jack. Care. Okay, all right, bye-bye. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy, wobbledy, drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small So that was cool. Um, you know, some technical difficulties with Skype. But good Skype. Good Skype, man. Uh... But yeah, it was overall good interview. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to check out Infliction yet, but I know that it's available everywhere, so I'm going to try and check it out. Mm-hmm. We encourage you guys to do the same. Yeah, uh, definitely. And it, it sounds like... It, I, th- I think I probably said at some point in the interview that it seems, seems like it had a lot more thought put into it than a lot of found footage films Yeah, did. Um, so... Yeah, I, I I'm same in the same boat. I, I like that he directly um, pointed out the "why the hell are you filming?" moment. Yeah, which it was important for both of us um, being so skeptical of a lot of found footage movies. Right. Um. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you check out Infliction, and if if you do, by all means, let us know what you think. Send us your thoughts to graveplotpodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, I'm sure we'll both we'll probably talk about it as soon as we both manage to see it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I barely had time. We had to watch three movies this this time around because for the episode I'm going to be gone, we had to bank uh, a review, so we had to watch three movies, and I barely had time to do that. Yeah, me same here. So. I actually uh, had had to go and see a movie this morning um, by myself. And when I say by myself, I mean I was almost the only person in the theater. <laughs> there was a guy that showed up right as the preview started. Um, but uh, I guess let's go ahead and talk about that one first. Do you want to? Yeah, why not? Like I said, brand new movie just came out. As above, so below. 
you. Whatever it is, I want nothing to do with it. The last time we were together, I literally wound up in a Turkish prison. It was more of a jail. Jail in Turkey. 370 feet directly beneath this point is the hidden chamber. We're holding the remains of <laughs> six million corpses. We have to get down there. And they should be made to crawl on their bellies to enter the kingdom of darkness. Somebody there? <laughs> we should just keep moving. What is So this is a found footage movie while we're on the subject. Um, it's, it's, it's documentary style. So it's not just like a regular person filming. Uh, but it's about this girl named... Uh, fuck, I've already forgotten her name. <laughs> Scarlet. Scarlet, thank you. Played by Perdita Weeks. Uh, she is a archaeologist. Um treasure hunter although she doesn't like to use that term because she's not in it for money right she she's basically nicholas cage in national treasure or indiana jones yeah and uh her father was looking for this stone that would reveal the key to alchemy the uh flamel stone flamel f-l-f-l-a-m-e-l the flemmy stone (laughs) um and then, so this guy Benji is filming her in this pursuit. Yeah, he's filming her. Yeah, he is. <laughs> She's a cutie. She, she wasn't too bad. Um, and so they find this uh, tombstone that they believe has the secret to where the stone is hidden. Mm-hmm. So they decipher the code on the tombstone and find out that it's buried under the ground. Yeah. Halfway between Earth and Hell, according to the inscription. Mm-hmm. And so they decide the only way to get there is through the French catacombs underneath Paris. Right. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the catacombs are these tunnels that are just lined with the bones and skulls of dead bodies. Yeah, it's basically the world's largest crypt. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And they're just tunnels and labyrinths underground. And so this goes about as well as could be expected. They get trapped down in the catacombs, and weird shit starts happening. Yeah. They start seeing things from their past, um, start seeing people from their past that are dead, um, and just a lot of weird imagery. And they're at one point, they actually say that they're going through the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. It's not really clearly defined if that is in fact the case but it's kind of more or less implied yeah they're, they're they enter they, i guess they find this kind of face of a tunnel like you know tunnel small enough you have to crawl through uh and there's aramaic written on it luckily they have somebody that reads aramaic right uh ben it, feldman right from madman right or friday the 13th or friday the 13th uh he doesn't want to go out there with a boner. Right. <laughs> um, 
he, and he didn't want to go in the tunnels at all. No. Uh, he, tr- he translates this inscription uh, as being, Abandon all hope ye who enter here. Which, as we all know, is from the Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Yep. But also, <laughs> it's said to be written on the gates of hell. Right. So, uh, theoretically, they were entering hell. Yeah. That was the uh, implication. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't really know how to say much more without giving a lot away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's... It's it's basically, it's... Um, Sorry, it was Greek, not Aramaic. I thought it was Aramaic. There was a lot of Aramaic. The tombstone was Aramaic. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is, it's Scarlet and this guy George... Who's, that's Ben Feldman's character, and then their their guides. Oh, and Benji, the cameraman, and their guides. This guy named um, Papillon, and uh, these French names: Suxi and Zed. Mm-hmm. So they go down there, and like I said, just they just start seeing all this kind of crazy, messed up shit, weird stuff from their childhood. Like it. This isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer. Um, they find a piano. And George is like, oh, my family had a piano just like this when I was a kid, but we could, we only knew one song and we couldn't finish it because this one key was messed up. And he plays the song and the key is messed up. Right. So it's just like weird stuff like that from their past that keeps coming back to haunt them as well as just other weird shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just some really w- crazy imagery and like w- just really weird, wild things going on. Um and I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't expect to like this movie. I mean, I've gone on record several times about how much I really don't like found footage. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like ghost movies and, you know, the, like paranormal activity type stuff doesn't really appeal to me. It doesn't doesn't do a lot for me um but i don't know this movie really <coughs> pulled me in I, I, I really think i enjoyed it i did not no really not even a little bit um the like it had great visuals mm-hmm. the acting was good the story was good but it made me physically ill to watch yeah, literally. It like I've never been that affected by a movie before, but I left the theater with a headache, feeling queasy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I felt after Blair Witch. I could totally see that. Which is funny because, but I feel like this is worse, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. Because not only is it like one guy running while carrying a camera, and then there's other cameras on people's headlamps, and when you run, your head moves a lot. Yeah. So it's extremely shaky, and then they're falling down holes, and just, yeah. Just tunnels, tunnels collapsing, and yeah, I, I totally see your point. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of the same way where that thing can, it, it has the ability to really fuck with my head, and like, you know, give me headaches and my, make my eyes hurt, and yeah. It's, uh, cause it, it sucks, because I want to like it. Like I said, I like the story. I thought that it was visually very appealing, and I thought it was well acted, but it just, I I could not watch this movie again. Not only would I not watch this movie, I could not watch this movie again. 
So, I mean, you liked everything except the cinematography. Yeah. Okay. But that was so bad to the point that it just ruined the entire experience for me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see um, your your grievance with it. It uh, surprisingly didn't affect me all that much. See, I didn't think it would, because I've watched other found footage movies, even Blair Witch, and it didn't have this effect on me. See, I being that Blair Witch was like the f- probably like the first found footage movie. I remember walking out of that theater like feeling sick as hell, just like See, feeling like I was going to throw up. My it, head it could be pounding. because by the time I saw Blair Witch, I already knew what to expect. Well, it wasn't so much um, what I did or didn't expect. It was visual, like actually wa- trying to watch it, having the camera bounce around so much and. I also didn't watch it in the theater. That may have made a difference. Possibly. Watching, yeah. I tend to get headaches at theaters, which is why I try not to go. Well, part of the reason why I try not to go to them. Yeah. Um, because it is hard for my eyes to adjust to such a big screen. Yeah, I usually sit in the back for that reason. Yeah. I, I sit in the back because I don't want assholes sitting behind me. But <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, it. It's nice that we, that we bring up Blair Witch because, and, and you mentioned National Treasure earlier, I thought that this movie was like a perfect combination of National Treasure and Blair Witch combined. And The Descent. Yeah, I guess to an extent. Um, I uh, Also, another thing about this movie that I really, really did not like, like... You know I love tension in movies. Mm-hmm. This movie did not make me feel tense. It made me feel anxious. Like, I don't consider myself claustrophobic other than when it's I can't move. And there are so many scenes where there is someone who is stuck and just cannot move, can't move their arms. And you didn't like that? No. That just drove me nuts. Oh. I mean, I, I don't like feeling that way, but I love it when a movie can make me feel that way. See, I like feeling that way and then knowing that there's an end point and I didn't feel like there was an end point at any time in this movie. Yeah. I know they were always just going further and deeper and it was it just kept getting worse. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, just get the fuck out. <laughs> well, I mean... Which I'm sure was the point, but it's like it just affected me in a negative way. Sure. Yeah, I, I know there's, there's one part where, um, where Benji... Because they're they're trying to crawl, crawl through a tunnel that's super narrow and it's coated in like just it's got a layer of bones on the bottom of it, and they're trying to crawl through it, and um, Benji gets stuck, and he like I think he did a great job of really showing how panicked somebody can get. Yeah, and that that gave me that feeling of anxiousness and for it to do that. Like I thought it was awesome because typically a movie will, I mean, I don't get scared by horror movies anymore. Right. We discussed that. Yeah. I I haven't in years. I, I, I can't even remember the last time I was scared by a horror movie, but something like this where it can make me feel so tense, like it's actually happening to me. I, I think that see that's I love that in a horror movie. Yeah, but for some reason this one just had the complete opposite effect. Are like, you secretly claustrophobic? 
I like I said, I don't consider myself claustrophobic unless it's to a point where you can't move. Yeah. Like if I'm in a room where I can touch the walls on every end, I'm fine. But if it gets to the point where I like my arms are pinned down, like in a coffin or something, mm-hmm. then I I would freak out pretty quick. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Like again with Blair Witch, this for me. There, there have been so many found footage movies over the years since Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. I think this was the first movie since that really captured that same feeling that Blair Witch had. Um, in not not so much it being kind of new, and at the time you not being like certain whether or not it was real. Right. Um, I mean, because you know, you can't capture that again. That, yeah, that'll another movie will never be able to do that again. But the upper footage, hmm? the upper footage. Well, eh, all right. The upper footage was banned in several theaters because people thought it was real. All right, I guess. I guess without years worth of layered True. marketing. Yeah, that was... <laughs> um, but this had just something about it and I think it was just all that all that imagery where it's like you know there's constantly moving camera and for them to just catch a glimpse of something and then turn back and it's like even you yourself as a viewer are thinking did I just see that (laughs) I get your point it's very immersive but I, I don't know it was just way too shaky for me yeah, yeah, and I, I I get that. I don't know that it would just just ruin the entire movie for me though. Um, see, like I I could have dealt with it if it didn't physically affect me. Yeah, and I, I mean I I was surprised that it did. Mm. Uh, I don't usually get queasy like that at movies, so. Mm-hmm. Um. So aside from that, what? Would, I mean, you mentioned what you do enjoy. Why don't you talk about some of those things? Um, well, like I said, there was a lot of really good visuals. Um, and like you said, there was parts where, you know, either the camera would be stationary for a minute or, you know, it would like pan over and something would kind of go like not dead center in the middle. It would just kind of off, almost off screen. You would just kind of see something walk through a, a tunnel or something. Yeah. Stuff like that was was really effective. Um, I don't want to spoil that. I know that there was one point. Um, actually, it was fairly early on when they get into the uh, catacombs. There, they walk, they come in, and there's just this chanting going on. Yeah, and like you know, it's like singing something you'd hear in like something that you'd hear is like a. Sp- soundtrack in you know a very like religious horror themed movie or something like that right. something you hear in like the exorcist um uh, or the omen um and there they walk past and there's just this big not cavern but kind of an open area in like just past They're a room wall almost with a bunch of women standing in there just do like doing these chants yeah and there's like candles everywhere yeah um and they were naked they were the topless. Yeah. Which I didn't expect. I didn't expect to see boobs in this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, and the guy is just like, people do weird things down here. 
Yeah, but I mean, these people, these, or these women, I should say, looked fucked up. Yeah. And it's one of those situations in in a horror movie where you're it builds attention because you don't know what's Why? gonna happen. Well, what's gonna happen? Yeah. It's like, are they gonna attack? <laughs> are they just gonna stand there and stare at us? See, that's the kind of tension I like. Mm-hmm. I don't like this kind of tension where it's just like you can't move. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, I, I when you mentioned earlier about like them, like you being in a spot where you're thinking, why don't you just get out? Yeah. That was the other thing is they kept getting lost. Yeah. Because it's like they would go in a room and then they would turn around and the door would be gone or something. And I would just be like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, the the deeper they got, the more um, more like a labyrinth everything turned into. Well, yeah. And they kept saying they had to go down. Like, we have to go down to get out. Yeah. The only way out was down. Yeah. And uh, I know um, uh, Papillon. Is that his name? Papillon. Papillon. French. Um, Pap. Pap, yeah. Let's just call him Pap. That's what he spray painted on the walls, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just easier than Papillon, and I don't feel as stupid saying it. <laughs> um, he. They, they came upon this tunnel that was all uh, bricked off, and so they're saying, we have to go this way. <laughs> Over the. You know, past. Into this tunnel, we can't really quite see. That's lined with bones. We have to go that way because going down that tunnel, nobody's ever come back from that tunnel. Right. Um, and so they actually ended up having to go in there and they find um, Pap's creepy friend, the mole. The mole, yeah. Who actually lived in the catacombs for a year. He's a creepy looking dude, dude. Yeah, he started to look like a fucking mole. Yeah. Um, and I don't and for know. For a guy who's lived in catacombs for years, he had a nicely trimmed mustache. It's the little Frenchy stash. Yeah, it's a little shit stash. Instead of like a big, a big bushy beard. I'm ready to make a bushy beard. Um, I don't know if I was just imagining it or if it actually was the case, but like he looked like his eyes were like super dilated. Okay, I got that too. Okay, I was I was trying to figure out if that was just. If he just had really dark eyes, or if that was supposed to be, yeah, um, yeah, and he's he's just a total creep. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you expect somebody living underground for a year, to, <laughs> and then you know when he they say when he went into this tunnel that he didn't come back, mm-hmm. and they haven't seen him since. So, um, yeah, aside from the the well kempt facial hair, he didn't look like somebody who's been underground for however many years right yeah uh or you know whatever the uh like at one point there was just blood <laughs> like all over the ground there was just like a like like the floor was blood and she like fell and just got covered in blood and yeah and that was just weird creepy shit like that that was like where i was kind of on board with you with the shaky camera work well i mean that that's always an aversion to me. I hate shaky camera work, especially when it's supposed to be like a steady cam movie. Like when it's not found footage, it's actually cinematic and it's a fucking shaky camera. Yeah. That's the worst. Cause yeah. it's like, why is this happening? Yeah. Also, this movie had a score. 
That bugs me in found footage movies. It had a score? Yeah. There was music in it. Or at least sound effects. There are sound effects, but, I mean, everybody's got sound effects. But, I mean, there was, like, editing. Oh, well, yeah. It's the 21st century, man. I don't know, but that gets supposed to be found footage. It should be raw. Even the Blair Witch Project wasn't raw. I mean, it was very clearly... That's that's a whole found footage thing, though. It's like... Well, I think that's why the upper footage was so successful. Was, well, not successful, but successful at accomplishing what it was trying to accomplish. It didn't have a score whatsoever. Right. Yeah, and I, there there were one point where it it becomes... I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but it, it starts to become very apparent that they may have ventured into hell. Mm-hmm. In a, in, a, in a way, and I, I think maybe that it kind of it it treads the line. You know, yeah, it, it kind of treads on both sides of the line, whether or not it's just they're in the catacombs and they're just seeing really fucked up shit, or if they're in hell, right? Um, because you know it's it's not what you might imagine hell to be you know fire and brimstone right but it's just like these this black cavern you know which could be catacombs could be hell who knows um you know the the thing that we've mentioned I think probably most often with found footage is why are you still filming right and I think in this case they they did a good job of coming up with a reason why they're sure. still filming. I feel like documentary style is, is always a reasonable excuse. But at the same time, there's like at one point they lose the camera. Yeah. Um and then you know he just they still have the cameras on their on their heads so mm-hmm. it still works. Yeah. But I mean mainly because uh being in these caverns, a lot of po- a lot of times they have to have the light on. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, they use the camera for the light. Yeah. And you know their their uh, headlamps, um, you know with with their pen cameras on top are on them. Um, so there's always a good reason f- for them to always be filming. I mean, yeah, he could have turned the camera off and just had the light on, but then you wouldn't have had a movie, <laughs> right? But yeah, and that would have been like like there would have been no reason to. Yeah, um, like if he's gonna have the camera on, why not just be filming? You have to take the time to stop filming and leave the camera on. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, mentioned about them being potentially in hell. There's a lot of things that actually there are a lot of things, but there's one thing in particular. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I don't. I don't want to say it. I'll mm-hmm. that and yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. That I said that I thought would be a spoiler. Oh, okay. Sorry. Didn't mention it. Yeah. Um, Those yeah. reminded me of um, American Horror Story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of how it ended? Without spoiling anything. Like the very ending? Yeah. Or like how it led up to it? Well, both. As much as you can say without spoiling anything. Um, I think the last ten minutes... It, it it 
maintained the tension that it had built throughout the movie, I think. But probably the most prominent element of the ending itself was a little corny. See, I wanted to ask you about that before we started, and I forgot. So I'm going to ask you about that off mic. Okay. Um, Because I didn't understand it. You didn't understand it? No. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I understood it. I just don't know if I liked it. Okay. Well, Um, see how I feel after you explain it to me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I, thought, I thought the ending was okay. I, I think they kind of, I think it could have been better, but they had kind of built themselves in, into a corner, so to speak. Yeah, and it was, that was really the only way they could go. Um, I, I, at one point thought that they would end it a different way, which I don't want to say because then people know that that's not how it ends. <laughs> Speaking very elusively. I know we're, we're we're being very secretive this time, but it's uh, you know, we're we're doing it for your sake because we don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's it. I don't want to. I don't want to stretch this out longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Um. So, I personally think it's definitely a movie worth seeing. Um, but you know, I, I guess like you said, if if maybe shaky camera is not your thing, then maybe you should avoid it but anyway I, I i really enjoyed it i thought it had a, had a good story i thought the element of it being almost like an archaeology quest all uh national treasure or indiana jones to where they're you know they're in in the catacombs and they're constantly going deeper and they're following these clues that are centuries old you know you know generations old um and just following it deeper and deeper into these caverns, I thought that element was awesome. Um, and like I said before, the, being able to kind of capture that Blair Witch feel with all the weird imagery and just combined with um, a tension that I hadn't felt since I watched Blair Witch for the first time, um, I, I thought that was a great combination. So uh, I think I'm going to give it a 7. Part of me wants to give this a one just because I don't think I would ever watch this movie again. And I feel like part, there's a big part of me that would not recommend this movie to anyone just because of how sick I felt leaving the theater. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, there are so many things I liked. Yeah. So, well, I mean, instead of thinking like of the camera work being, the main focus think of it as being part of the whole right like I said it's it wasn't so much that I'm just like oh this movie was great but I hate Jake Kim. yeah it was just the fact that it physically affected me yeah um which honestly I think in that case it's part of it like that's on purpose I'm sure to an extent but I don't think they want people leaving in the middle of the movie to go throw up sure um so I think overall I have to give it a three. Hmm. Okay. I think that's the most split we've ever been on a movie. Uh, that's, yeah. Um, Except maybe like WrestleManiac or something. <laughs> I don't know why you don't like that movie. It's fucking stupid, man. Uh, what did I give? 
Uh, WrestleManiac was our biggest discrepancy. This is the second biggest. Okay. Well, yeah. So, but, like, if if it had been, even if it had been less shaky, like it still could have been found footage and just been less shaky, and I probably would have been closer to where you are. Mm-hmm. But just like I said, I almost felt like I wanted to throw up in the middle of the movie. Yeah. So it just killed it for me. All right. Well, yeah. So it's uh, as above, so below. Currently in theaters. Um, go check it out if you're into, you know, found footage. Or I guess whoever you side with more, that'll, that that might decide whether or not. You if see you it. don't like shaky cams or you're claustrophobic, avoid this movie. Definitely, yeah, I I can agree with that. So. All right, well now let's go ahead and head into our other movie, which I picked for a very particular reason. So I got pretty sick and tired of Taylor always taking taking the goddamn the new and popular movies like months in advance before I even had a chance to claim them for myself. So I'm following with the Paris theme. I picked the worst Paris themed movie that I could <laughs> and went with American Werewolf in Paris. On his first trip to Paris. Andy McDermott is looking for a little danger. Andy, what are you doing? I'll show you guys a stunt you'll never top. But tonight... Andy, this is madness. You're going to get yourself killed. There's nothing more dangerous than falling for the wrong girl. No, don't! Obviously, whack kind of girl jumps off the Eiffel Tower has issues, man. Major issues. You mustn't get involved. It's much too dangerous, believe me. You must go before it's too late. I was attacked by this big wild dog. You were bitten. You're already changing. It was not a dog, it was a werewolf. <laughs> Now you have become one too. <laughs> An American werewolf in Paris. I don't get why you think this is a punishment when you have to watch it too. Yeah, I can deal with it. So can I. <laughs> Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is a movie of a, a, a boy named Andy, or a young man, who is also the drummer in a one-hit wonder band. In the the Oneaters. The Oneaters, yeah. Um, and uh, so he's in Paris with his buddies. And they're kind of thrill seekers, and he meets a woman while attempting to bungee jump off the observation. No, I guess it wasn't really the observation deck. Like more of a off limits part of the Eiffel Tower. He was going to bungee jump, and she was just 
gonna jump and uh, end her life. So he jumps down after her and catches her at the last minute and just kind of gracefully lets her down onto the ground. Um, and so he, he bounces back up and cracks his head on one of the cross beams in the Eiffel Tower. So he ends up in the hospital and this sets him on a quest to, to find this girl that he just <clears throat> immediately enamored with. God damn, I can't stop burping. Um, and turns out she's a werewolf. Turns out. <laughs> um, but as she is French, she is not an American werewolf in Paris. Um, she, he gets talked into going to a party. Or he and his friends, actually, get talked into going to a party with, uh, Claude, who is this girl Seraphine, uh, I don't really know what kind of relationship they have other than they're both werewolves, but uh, at this party everything goes sideways, it just so happens to be on a full moon, and everybody that were werewolves turned into werewolves and started massacring all the normal guests, and Andy was among those guests that, was, that were attacked, and but he wasn't killed, and he was course turned into a werewolf and there my good sir is the american werewolf in paris found it um and so it's it's very formulaic basically follows almost the exact same plot as the original <laughs> um yeah it's uh movie was dumb <laughs> it's bad <laughs> it basically took one of the greatest, if not the greatest, werewolf movie of all time, took out everything that was great about it, and replaced it with slapstick comedy, cartoon vampires, and fist fights. Cartoon vampires? Well, CGI vampires. They look like fucking cartoons. Am I missing vampires? Or werewolves, oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> like, I don't remember any vampires. <laughs> um, yeah. They, um... They're, yeah, they replaced everything. Everything was practical in the original. Um, they replaced it with CGI, and it was you know like was it mid or you know, mid to late nineties CGI. So it was just absolute shit. Um, and like you said, one of the greatest <clears throat> werewolf movies of all time. Um, like down to like the 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 werewolf transformation still being being revered as like the best werewolf transformation in in history. Yeah, to this day, still. Yeah. Um, and to have that kind of... Um, what's the word? Cachet? Uh, not cachet. Um, Prestige? Legacy? Legacy. That's the word. That's the word. To have that kind of legacy to follow, um, they just... <laughs> They totally, dropped the ball. Yeah, they totally fucked it. Um, like I said, it's it's almost essentially this... Like, beyond the point where he becomes a werewolf, it follows the original almost to a T. Other than the weird cult, kind of. Aside from that, but it was, was it even really a cult? Whatever they were, just for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, he... <clears throat> kind of... 
like he's he's being haunted by his friend, just like the original, mm-hmm. like his his dead friend <coughs> was was killed by one of the werewolves. But actually, he's got two of those people now. One of oh up the ante. No, oh, um, one of uh, one of which is um, another American girl that he met and then <laughs> killed. So, as opposed, you, you remember the the um, the the lore, the, the 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 kind of the rules from the original um, is the the. Their spirits, the, these zombie ghost things, can't. The, their spirits can't rest until the werewolf that killed them is killed, and uh, of course, the that applies only. Fuck. What? I'm having a brain fart. Um, since Andy killed this girl, he. She can't rest until he dies, so she keeps trying to get him killed, and that that leads into a lot of this like just stupid slapstick shit, um, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's really sad that they could take something from John Landis, you know, one of the greatest directors of our time, um, and just pass it off to something and. Just it's just so stupid. <laughs> um, also, uh, apparently, uh, Seraphine, who is the girl that uh, Andy saves at the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower, actually the daughter of David and Alex from the original. Oh, really? Yeah. But that's never alluded to in the film. Yeah, I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, I, I that's, that's just something like I knew, like I, I'd read it before. Uh, in, in you know in other places and maybe even in like synops synopses yeah of the movie, um, but it never actually says it in in the movie itself. Like unless it slipped by me completely every I'd time I've watched it. Slipped by me too if that's the case. Um, yeah, this was just a bad bad movie. Yeah, and at one point <clears throat> there. They're able to transform into werewolves without the aid of a full moon. Right. And one of them does so and then, like, attacks the other werewolves, which would give the impression that they still have their thoughts and memories while they're transformed. Yeah. But every other indication is that they're completely blacked out. Yeah. So it's like you're just going to change, not just change the lore, but in the middle of the fucking movie, you're going to change the lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I want to go back quickly to like the transformation, because that's obviously what I'm most drawn to in, in both movies. In the original, the transformation looks like one of the most terrifying, painful yeah. Disgusting ordeals a person could ever go through. And this, it looked like a fucking cartoon. Yeah, it really did. He, like, for some reason, the only thing, like, the first thing that transforms is his head. And so he, at one point, he's running after um, uh, another werewolf. Like, they're, they're on a subway train, and he's running after him in, in the train. 
and like he's slowly changing, but it's like his face that changes. So he just starts getting this dog head, but none of the rest of him is of him is changing. And as far as like practical effects, they were like almost non-existent. Right. There's one part in my mind that sticks out. There was like a two-second part where there's like a werewolf mouth with blood dripping from it. That's it. The rest of it's all CGI. So, I don't know. It really upsets me that they could take something so um, classic and um, iconic and turn it into this. Um, At least there were werewolves in it, though. Imagine if they remade it and didn't have werewolves in it. Oh, perish the thought. If it was like some kind of rage virus. <laughs> oh, but people will see it. Well, yeah, if you make the backpackers women. Right. I hate you, Hollywood. I hate you. Um, Fucking Michael Bay. You know, interesting thing about this was... Um, nothing? <laughs> There's nothing interesting. Well, the, the original film, John Landis was having trouble um, securing rights in the... You know, like... Um, permits and locations and stuff in London during the original film. Um, so he had actually scouted at one point locations in Paris and considered moving locations to Paris and retitling it. Oh. So I thought that was an interesting little That would have been one way to make this movie good. Just to, to have it be the original? Yeah. <laughs> that would be one way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, this movie's so old, I'm not even going to worry about <clears throat> spoiling the ending. It's what, 93? 97. Let's just say right now, what is the moratorium on spoilers? We should, this needs to be... Just draw a hard line? Yeah. Ten years? I think that's good. All right. So if you if you haven't seen this movie, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, not that you'd Get wanna, with it. Not that you'd want to see it anyway. <laughs> but at the end... Um, you know, the the only way that you can be cured of the, of the werewolf um, affliction, I guess, is you have to kill the werewolf that bit you and then eat out its heart. Right. <clears throat> Which Andy does because he shortly before discovers that the werewolf that bit him or, yeah, bit him or scratched him whichever, um, was not Seraphine, as she, she had led him to believe. Mm-hmm. It was actually Claude. Um, and that's when that ridiculous cartoon transformation takes place, and he attacks him on the subway and eats his heart. Um, and then he lets out this howl on the train, and Seraphine, who was previously injured, and she's being carted off to the hospital, she's like probably halfway across town, in an ambulance, like, hears this howl, but nobody else around her seems to really notice. Like, if I heard this just... Maybe she still has dog hearing. This canine wolf yeah. hearing. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I mean, It wouldn't she... be the stupidest part of this movie. <laughs> um, and then it goes on to say, you know, several full moons later, you know, presumably maybe up to a year, whatever... Later, I mean, a full moon is every twenty-eight days, so you figure it's at least a couple of months. 
was yeah several full moons so you right. figure each full moon about a month so um so yeah several you know it's up for a interpretation term, yeah. yeah um they are both you know andy and seraphim are both standing on top of the um this was statue. the stupidest <laughs> fucking bullshit yeah. tacked on ending didn't even need to be there Standing on top of the Statue of Liberty, um, getting ready to bungee jump off. They're wearing a tux and gown, uh, you know, wedding attire. Right. And that's just it. It's like, unless I miss something, she's still a werewolf. (laughs) Uh, Unless, was Claude the one that bit her? No, because she was born a werewolf. Hmm... Because she's David's daughter. I didn't know werewolfism was a hereditary trait. Apparently it is. Lycanthropy. Well, that's stupid. Okay. Um, Apparently. And this completely slipped past me. Seraphine is being taken in an ambulance, but begins to show signs of transforming. The EMT, thinking she is going into shock, administers adrenaline. I remember that. But I don't remember her showing signs of transformation. Yeah, I, I don't think I did either. Yeah. Um, I think I would remember that. He administers adrenaline, which stops the transformation. Where the cure, which turned out to be a sedative, triggered the change, adrenaline has the opposite effect. How were we supposed to get that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was not explained in any way. Was this movie written on a fucking napkin? I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, did they actually film the script or did they just like, <laughs> don't, don't need this page? Well, apparently there's an alternate ending that sounds like it may have actually been a little better. But instead they decided to go with jumping off the fucking Statue <laughs> of Liberty. Apparently. God Damn it. That says, in an alternate ending, after Andy eats Claude's heart, Seraphine has a vision of her stepfather in the back of an ambulance. Whatever. Explaining... Oh, God. Explaining how he found a cure before his death. So she has a vision. Oh, that would have been so fucking cheesy, though. All right. I, I, I misread that at first. But it says, the new closing scene shows Seraphine and Andy having a child... What? ...whose eyes shift to look like the were- look like werewolves. No. <laughs> that's not the ending of the movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's the alternate ending. Oh, I thought you were saying that was the new ending. I was like, that's not... <laughs> what? You, you said that was the new ending. I thought you were saying that was the ending they picked. No, the, the one that we saw, that's the ending. This is an alternate ending. Got it, got it. <clears throat> so, I guess rereading it, that it's not that much better, but... So she passed down the lycanthropy to a child. It appears so. So, that's stupid. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking when they made this. How how they could be watching it. Well, sure. Um, I don't know how they could be watching it in the, you know... You know, when, when all the, like, the studio executives and stuff, they get a private screening. Right. And they decide, you know, what needs to be changed and all that. How they watched this hunk of shit and decided that that was good enough. 
and, you know, let it roll. Uh, wow. I want to see a reaction video of John Landis watching this for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. If he just, like, shit himself or... I just imagine it being a, uh, like, a, like a freeze frame of just being like this. The best part of this movie is Vince Velouf. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Vince Velouf? Who you may know from Grind or Rat Race. Oh, right, right. <laughs> He's just hilarious in everything he does. Yeah. Um, I love, like, I just keep fucking reading the Wikipedia page. The reception section says... An American werewolf in Paris was poorly received by most critics and audiences alike. Like, really? Uh, oh, man. This is the. This How does this have a 5.1 on IMDb? Well, here, this maybe this will make you feel a little better. The review aggregation site Rotten Tomatoes lists the film as rotten with only 8% of reviews positive. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> according to box office sales and online reviews, this sequel proved to be much less successful than the first film. Oh, did it? <laughs> yeah. Like, I need just like a no duh stamp. <laughs> um, anyway, this opened on Christmas Day, apparently. This makes sense. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, anyway, I think we've covered everything we can. Everything we should. Yeah. Everything, beyond this, it's just... just... Here, here's a question for you. Okay. How would your opinion of this movie differ if it wasn't tied to American Werewolf in London? If this was just its own movie, it was called, like, French Lichens or something? <laughs> um I probably would have just thought it was a sci-fi movie, like a sci-fi <laughs> channel movie. But do you think you would like it anymore? No, not at all. all right. How about you? Uh, I don't think I would like it anymore, but I think I would be offended less. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be as insulted by it. Um, but yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make it any better. Yeah. But. So what do you think in numbers wise? Uh, three. Three? Yeah. What's your reasoning? Why why that high? Why that high? <laughs> well you make an interesting point. <laughs> uh maybe I should say two. Only only because it wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> There are several worse movies I've seen in my lifetime, and that, I use those as kind of like the baseline for bad movies. This was slightly above. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> this was just shit in every way possible. It was a bad story, bad graphics. Uh, it wasn't bad acting, I guess. Um, no, but it's from... just like the. Wait, no, the... I take that back. It was bad acting. I, it wasn't terrible. Like Tom Everett Scott's not bad. No, but in this movie he was. He was over the top. Yeah, which 
just the fucking comedy in this is so cheese dick. Yeah. And like I, when he drops her gently from the Eiffel Tower, he comes back up with her shoe and he's got it in the hospital and like he sees her in the hospital. She's she's stealing a heart so she can eat it. Um, and he catches up with her. He's like, hey, you forgot this. It's like, it like a Disney movie or something. Yeah, I don't know why. It, it almost seemed like they wanted to make a comedy and then just slap werewolves in it. Yeah, I can see that. It could have been anything. It could have been any kind of monster. Yeah. But just it, it seemed like they wanted to focus on comedy first, and even the comedy, like it wasn't a fun kind of slapstick, like Leprechaun or something. Yeah, it was just over the top and ridiculous, and didn't fit the feel of the movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna match you. I'm gonna say two as well. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, hope you guys had a hard or not a hard time. <laughs> I hope you guys hope you suffered through this. <laughs> I know I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I kind of did. I was having a hard time today for some reason. Yeah. I just couldn't get my thoughts straight. Yeah. I don't know. You're drunk. Maybe. Maybe I'm a little drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway. So. Um, good time. Hope you had a good time. Not a hard time. Hope you had a swell time. Hope you enjoyed yourselves. Um, so we will catch up with you guys next. No, not next week. In two weeks, with episode one of Octoberama. Week of... I've already forgot. The Vampire. Week of the Vampire. So, Featuring um, Stakeland and Fright Night. Yeah. yeah. So uh, be sure to tune in when we return with that episode. Um, yeah, check us out at graveplotpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at grave underscore plot. We are approaching 1000 followers almost there yeah yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll do something special when we get to four digits dick pics yep <laughs> spoilers <laughs> uh all right well thanks again for joining us guys uh as always i am skeletoni and i am taylor of terror and this is the great plot podcast where we're all just a little dead inside I'm not the brightest crayon in the box Everyone says I'm dumber than a bag of rocks Be the sharpest hunk of cheese. I got a negative number on my SAT.